right, let's get started here. Coming at you guys from Paris, France, it is BK here, of course. Saturday, December 11th, 2021, just about 2.11 p.m. as I come to you guys here. Uh, check me out on social media and follow my Twitter for breaking news throughout the week, at Bravo Kilo Actual, and look at my Instagram, at BK Actual. And just to remind you guys, coming up, you don't want to miss, of course, the end of the year is coming. And that only means one thing. It is time for the infamous, the legendary year in review on World News with BK. I know you guys like that one. And I'll be going through all the old shows from all of 2021, selecting out the moments of the year. By far the most comprehensive highlight you'll have of the year, and again, nobody else is capable of doing this, you guys. The two-and-a-half-hour monologue, the steel trap mind, the rippling ab veins all the way down to the upper thighs. It's all here, and really appreciate you guys checking it out. So why don't we go ahead and get into our news, and let's start with Mexico, where there was this huge uh, migrant disaster, and this was uh, basically one of the worst single-day disasters in many years to befall Central American immigrants who are trying to get to the United States. Mexican officials have said that at least 55 people have been killed and 106 hospitalized in a semi-truck crash. And yes, all these would-be immigrants, illegal immigrants, no doubt, were in the back of these semi-trucks. And the cops in Mexico are attributing this to excessive speed. And, by the way, said the driver, who may have passed undetected through immigration checkpoints, escaped after the crash. You believe this? First of all, that one sentence. I can't even get into the whole story. So, wait, he took two semi-trucks, or a, a huge semi-truck packed with people? 150 people were in this truck. And you took that through immigration checkpoints? And nobody, like, just said, hey, you want to open that truck for us really quick? Crazy. And the fact that the guy just took off, I'm sure he'll never be found again. That's also nuts to me. Uh, they said this was just an insane scene. Mangled metal, puddles of blood, bodies piled on top of one another. It's insane. And they say that basically witnesses, the survivors, said the, the uh, trailer... It started to, you know, fishtail, like you guys have seen on YouTube, those semi-trucks and high winds, they can start to fishtail, and they whip back and forth, and the momentum just flips them uh, right over. Uh, so what else about this? Uh, the injured migrants were mostly from Guatemala, and they were being uh, treated at hospitals. And this happened uh, where? This is in uh, Tuxla Gutierrez, Mexico. And most of the injured are being treated in, like, local hospitals in that area. Uh, one guy who was a paramedic, he was among the first to arrive at the accident. He said right away there was tons of people dead. He was like, they're all just bodies. And he knew it was right away. It was like a mass casualty accident. He immediately called for backup, as he should be. And this is just another example of these increasingly perilous chances that people are taking to get to the United States border. Not only do you have, you know, semi-truck drivers will pack you in there like sardines and speed through and take no, have no care for your well-being. You also have to do the uh, gamut of drug cartels, corrupt police officers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they soon had the National Guard troops even coming around. And this was the worst known single-day death toll for migrants in Mexico since the 2010 massacre 
of 72 migrants by the Azetas drug cartel. And, of course, we, the U.S. government, have taken in recent years a tough line, and we would like most countries do, on trying to deter this because our country and our system is not equipped and it cannot handle on top of our already very generous illegal immigration policies, an additional 150,000 to 200,000 people, uh, illegal immigrants per month. And you guys know this, we've been covering it heavily on this podcast for years now. Uh, and they really need to take these dangers into effect and perhaps consider staying home, changing your local governments, making your countries more democratic and accessible and stop just fleeing away and running away to daddy America because then the shit in Latin America will never change. And the interesting thing is our government is increasingly relying on Mexico to kind of turn back and deport these illegal migrants because, again, so many of them are coming from Latin America, south of Mexico. We're leaning on Mexico hard to say, hey, you deport them before they get to the border. And they are doing some stuff because as of October, the Mexican authorities had detained at least more than 220,000 undocumented migrants this year. That is their highest number on record. And, uh, you know, I appreciate that. And that sounds like a lot, but one, it just says they detained them. So what happens after they detain them? And two, 220,000, like I said, we were hitting totals of damn near 200,000 a month. So 220,000 in one year, it's not really that much. However, the record highs of illegal immigration this year at our border have become slowly tapering off, whether that's due to any effective policies or just the seasonal changes, uh, we don't really know. Apparently, this year has been the deadliest for illegal migrants at the U.S. border since 2014, according to a group called International Organization for Migration, which said this week that 650 people had died trying to cross so far in 2021. Hmm. Okay, let's go over to India. India's top military general, the head dude, has died in a helicopter crash. I mean, this would be the equivalent of you know Mark Milley, General Mark Milley of our military dying in a helicopter crash. This is a big deal. This was General Bipin Rawat. He was killed along with his wife and 11 other people on board. That death was confirmed in a statement by the country's defense minister, Rajnath Singh, after hours of uncertainty. And this is a tough time for India's military because they have threats along two of its borders, as well as the impact of a slowing economy, of course, the coronavirus. And... Obviously, the two borders, one is Pakistan. India and Pakistan are still very much enemies. Not only that, but they still have that Chinese border. And that is going on in the Himalayas. You guys remember that uh, the stories I did about the fights with the Chinese troops at high altitudes in the Himalayas, where they all just fucking took their shirts off and clubbed each other with bricks and bats and threw each other down mountains and shit like that earlier this year? Yeah, they still have that to deal with. So, he was 63 years old. There is an inquiry underway. And he was flying, in case you're wondering, an MI-17 V-5 helicopter. And 
he was seen as a a counterinsurgency expert. He was close to the Indian president, uh, Narendra Modi. He did have some controversy, as do all of us, like... Uh, as of an as an army chief, it, I'm reading the New York Times obit here. As an army chief, he awarded a commendation letter to an officer who had tied a civilian to the front of his car in the disputed Kashmir region as a human shield to get through stone pelting. <laughs> Jeez. Last month, you got and you guys remember you've been cu- hearing the coverage that I've done on Kashmir. And as tensions in Kashmir went up after that wave of assassinations last month. General Rawat told a gathering that locals in Kashmir were saying they would, quote, lynch the terrorists, end quote. He called that a, quote, very positive sign, end quote. You know, India's preparedness for a two-front war is going to be tough because they really don't have any money. In 2020, India spent about $73 billion on its military. That is compared with China's $252 billion dollars. And about three quarters of the country's defense expeditioner uh, um, expedited funds goes to routine costs, and that includes pensions and just sustainment of force. That doesn't leave a lot for modernization, and that's what General Rawat was trying to do: is trying to turn India's military into a much more uh, modern military. So, yeah, bad stuff there. Uh, let's come back to the United States here for a moment because this is kind of going on as I record the podcast and many of you are sleeping and uh, especially on the West Coast. But there's been crazy tornadoes going on in Kentucky and they're saying there's at least 50 people dead just in Kentucky. And these are tornadoes across the Midwest and Southern uh, United States. I'm looking at the track right now. And if you're looking at a map of the U.S., it was it's kind of like northeast corner of Arkansas going through Tennessee and into the um, kind of left side of Kentucky. And uh, three people had died in Tennessee, but there was a roof collapse at an Amazon warehouse in Illinois, and there was at least one person killed in an Arkansas nursing home. Kentucky's governor, Andy Bashir is the one who said at least 50 had been killed in that tornado's path over 200 miles. He said the state's death toll was likely to increase to more than 70 in the coming hours. He said, quote, it has been one of the toughest nights in Kentucky history, end quote. Oh, man. At least five states were hit by those tornadoes. Arkansas, Illinois, Kentucky, Missouri, and Tennessee. And this is all part of a weather system that is just crushing many parts of the country. It's causing substantial snowfall, by the way, across parts of the upper Midwest and western Great Lakes. Um, The big roof collapse on that Amazon warehouse, yeah, uh, they have a search and rescue operation underway on that, and they already have next of kin being notified. As of Saturday morning, right now, more than 132,000 homes were without power in Tennessee, nearly 60,000 in Kentucky, more than 25,000 in Arkansas. Hmm. This is, uh, yeah, and obviously Andy Bashir has already declared a state of emergency. He says daybreak is going to bring a lot of bad news. Terrible, terrible stuff. I mean, you know, people living in California, people like say shit about earthquakes. I mean, you know, really bad earthquakes with all our modernized technology. 
you know, it's really, it shakes, it, you're, it's a little scary, and it shakes a little bit, and then, like, one person might die of a heart attack. That Give me the earthquakes over tornadoes any day. And I think I can speak for most uh, Southern Californians when I say that. Quickly, let's go back to India. I forgot to put these stories next to each other. Rare mistake on my part. <laughs> but uh, let's go ahead and go back to northeastern India. And there's a... A lot of anger out there because apparently security forces of the Indian military have killed 14 civilians. Yeah. Eight mine workers were shot in a mistaken ambush by soldiers seeking insurgents. And then protests broke out and they killed six protesters. Yeah, this is a region that's long torn by that insurgency. So... What happened here? Well, a truck was carrying coal miners. They were returning from work. And they got ambushed by security forces searching for insurgents. This is in the Tiru area of Nagaland State. This is along the border with Myanmar. The Indian Army said the soldiers had been responding to credible intelligence reports about the movement of insurgents who often cross into Myanmar after attacking soldiers. So, news about the killing spread quickly on social media. Residents in the area came out to attack the troops. They set two of the military vehicles on fire. So an Indian soldier actually got killed during the protests and the street fighting. So then security forces were like, okay, weapons free. They opened fire on the crowds, resulting in the killing of five more people on Saturday night. And then on Sunday afternoon, another civilian was killed by government forces after protesters entered an Indian army camp. This northeastern region of India. It makes up eight states. And for many decades now, this whole area has had separatist insurgencies going on, and those are led by uh, local militant organizations. What do they want? Well, it's a wide range of stuff. Some of them are pushing for more autonomy, make their own decisions. Some Some are outrightly demanding full independence. They want to be their own country. Now, violence had been declining in the region. And by the way, this, this whole upper northeast region, it borders Bangladesh, Bhutan, China, and Myanmar. And it kind of had been getting better after India built, that, built up that heavy military presence, and they did sign a peace agreement in 2015 with separatist groups. But in recent months, they've been, there's been a lot of fighting there. You guys remember back in July, I covered this one, when five police officers were killed and a lot of other officers wounded. That was at the standoff near that long-disputed border crossing between two states. And local tribal readers, uh, leaders are very unhappy. They were the ones who said that the miners had been returning home. And here we go. As the citizenry was conversing on social media after the ambush, the authorities shut down the mobile internet and messaging services. That never works. That just brings people out in the streets even more. So, yes, a local professor said the state had been slowly recovering from decades of this unrest, but incidents like these do kind of bring back the memory of atrocities committed against civilians. And he's like, this has been a huge mistake, so we'll keep an eye on that one, see if it kicks off anything bigger. Let's go to the various Scandinavian countries. i got a few stories here. First of all, let's go to the Prime Minister of Finland, Sanna Marin. 
she was forced to apologize after <laughs> photographs surfaced of her clubbing. Maskless was the part, not the clubbing, but she was maskless. And this apparently was one day after she came into contact with a government official who had tested positive for the coronavirus. That's funny. Remember, she's super young. I think I think it says it later in the article. I'll wait to get to it. She's like 36, I think. But yeah, she was out. So yeah, it's like any like any mid thirties a single woman. I'm assuming she's single. She's pretty good looking, actually. What's up? Uh, she after work decided to you know knock back a few cold ones and uh, go to the club. That's funny. Now Finland, if you didn't know, and who does, has had some of the lowest infection rates in Europe. The country has a population of about 5.5 million people and has recorded about 196,000 cases of infection. Uh, Marin, she's now 36. <laughs> Guys, who else is capable of pulling out the age of the Finnish prime minister? Out of his head! It cannot be done! <laughs> you know, sometimes I just have to stop. The steel trap mine sometimes frightens even me. Just a little bit. Like, I can't control it. It's just there. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, you know, I guess I'm considering myself a pretty smart guy. But then something happens, and I'm like, God, you are like a genius. It's it's just really unnatural. Almost as unnatural as the crazy blonde glowing skin color that you have that's not found in nature anywhere. Although I'm not going to lie, that has been suffering a bit here in the shit Paris weather. Uh, but yes, anyway, she uh, she did become the world's youngest sitting prime minister when she was sworn into office two years ago at the age of 34. She heads a government that is remarkably female and young. The other four major parties in the government are led by women, three of whom are, like the prime minister, under 40. That's funny. So yeah, she was supposed to, uh, had to go grovel in front of the media. Now, the other Scandinavian country, let's go to the Danish leader. This is the Prime Minister Met Fredriksen. And uh, they, they had this, I think I talked about this maybe a long time ago. Remember when basically the Danes basically uh, exterminated all the mink in their country? You know, the animal? Yeah, this was last year. Yeah, they, they killed 17 million mink. And this was another one of these idiotic throw poop up against the wall to see if it sticks kind of ideas to deal with the coronavirus. Yeah, they, they had a fear that infected animals could transmit the coronavirus. So what they do, so you believe that? Instead of like just saying like rational heads prevailing, they're like, okay, we have to kill 17 million animals immediately. Like, fuck, dude. Get a hold of yourself. So it's, it's back in the news. They call it Mink Gate. You know, and also, just side note, can we retire the fucking Watergate thing? I'm so sick of that. Can you come up with anything else, lazy media? Can we stop just adding gate to the end of every scandal? It's so lazy and tired, and they've been doing it now. When was Watergate? Fucking 40 years, 50 years ago? I don't even know. Well before I was born. Can you come up with anything different? Don't you write for a living? Don't you use words for a living? Can't you use your words? Christ. Um, where was I? I uh she anyway, she was it was in the news because she was dragged in front of a parliamentary commission about the decision made last year by her and her government, old Met, M E T T E. 
By the way, that resulted, that decision, in a loss of 5,000 jobs in Denmark. And it turns out the decision was illegal. So Fredrickson, under testimony, denied knowing that the government lacked the legal authority to order the slaughter of the entire population of the animals, as she has done before. Um, She said she was made only aware of this on November 8, 2020, days after she announced the government's decision. The government later acknowledged that it only had legal powers to kill infected animals, not obviously a mass extermination. This prompted the Minister of Agriculture uh, to resign, by the way. So now they've appointed an independent three-member commission to investigate the matter, and if it concludes that the Prime Minister did not tell the truth about the legal questions, she could face impeachment. So they did this after they had, supposedly, they had a discovery that minks infected by humans could pass a mutated strain of the virus back to humans. So again, they fucking panicked, like so many people have done. And they just slaughtering mink like left and right, like they're mowing down mink. Uh, more, Like I said, more than 5,500 people lost their jobs, according to a local industry source. They had uh, more than a thousand mink farms that they basically just slaughtered every animal in, and they now sit empty. And right-wing political parties actually have accused the, this is funny, they say right-wing political parties, but then they say center-left government. You, ever, you never notice that? How come it's never le- far, far left or leftist? It's always caveated. Well... The right-wingers are now saying that the left-wing government actually wanted to end mink farming anyway. And they're saying they just used the pandemic as an excuse. Hmm. Uh, They are saying that mink farming has been blamed for a number of public health issues. I don't know. if Is it that or is it the politically correct, uh, you're not supposed to wear animal skins anymore? I'm just guessing. It's way more the second one. But the government's order is likely to cost around $3 billion in expenses and compensation to farmers and that uh, industry. And then they fucked up even the extermination, or as they call it, the cull. Some of the slaughtered mink were improperly buried in mass graves and began to rise from the ground, swollen with the gases of decomposition. So then they had to dig them up and burn them in incinerators. Why did you do that in the first place? Why would you bury them? Idiotic. Uh, They quoted one farmer who said that the government order to cull her 15,000 minks made her feel as if a carpet was being pulled under my feet. Now, instead of being a mink farmer, she's a fucking janitor at a hospital. That sucks. Also as a result of the cull, the world's largest fur auction house, Copenhagen Fur, announced it would close in 2023. Hmm. Yep, no more mink. At least not in Denmark, or at least not too much. Let's keep going. Let's go to Africa. Al Jazeera had a crazy story about this jailbreak epidemic that's hitting Nigeria's overcrowded prisons. The stats on this are nuts. So last month, gunmen stored a medium security prison in Jos, central Nigeria. For the second time this year, they managed to free more than uh, 250 inmates, right? This happens apparently all the time. Remember, Nigeria is Africa's most populous country. Since 2010, 
More than 7,000 people have escaped from several prisons over that period, and most of them still remain at large. In the past 14 months alone, there have been eight successive jailbreaks, more than double the number of such incidents in the previous three years combined, and that does not include riots, foiled prison break attempts, or clashes between armed non-state actors and law enforcement at police stations to forcibly release detained suspects. Hmm. Yeah, obviously Nigeria's penitentiary system is not fucking the best. The infrastructure is mostly a relic of the British colonial era. For example, the prison in Benin dates back to 1906. So you, so the Brits built all the prisons, and then when they left, the Nigerians were like, ah, we're good, we don't need to build anymore. And just also in that time, while Nigerians were going, ah, fuck it, their population absolutely exploded. Again, it's got the most populous country in Africa. Yeah, they're doing great. Uh, the, For example, the Okoye prison, built in 1955 for, for a capacity of 800 people, now accommodates approximately four times that number. Uh, there are currently 70,653 prisoners across 240 detention centers nationwide. Only a third of them have been convicted, while the rest are filed under awaiting trial. Crazy. Yeah, Nigeria's just, I don't know, some parts of it are like really modern, and then some parts of it are absolutely fucking ass backwards. Let's go to Iraq. The United States military has officially, supposedly, ended its combat mission in Iraq. They have completed the transition from their combat mission to one meant to advise, assist, and enable Iraqi forces that are, yes, still battling the remnants of the Islamic State. While the announcement signaled the latest shift in the mission in Iraq since the United States invaded 18 years ago, the move does not reduce the number of American forces in the country. It will keep the same number of soldiers on the ground in support roles. That would be about roughly 2,500. For the Iraqi government, meanwhile, the stated removal of combat troops was a political victory aimed at fending off pressure from Iranian-backed political parties and militias opposed to any presence of U.S. forces. You guys know that if you've been listening. And this follows talks between sleepy Joe Biden and Iraq's Prime Minister Mustafa al-Kadimi. And that was back in July, and Biden said he, he had committed to actually removing all combat forces by the end of the year. That was kind of seen at U.S. officials as an effort to relieve the Iranian pressure on al-Kadimi. Uh, so U.S. and Iraqi forces held a small ceremony in Baghdad on Thursday afternoon. Um, and it seems like all, probably, yes, most people there will be like logistics, personnel, shit like that. There's going to be a small combat force, obviously. And, of course, we still have that monstrosity of an embassy in Baghdad and the U.S. Marine uh, contingent will stay with them as well. Now, contrast this to Afghanistan. The administration has resisted a complete pullout from Iraq because they see fending off the influence of, of Iran and the ongoing threat of the Islamic State as more crucial to the American strategic interests. Like Afghanistan, they're like, you're in the middle of fucking nowhere. We don't care about you. 
Iraq is a little bit different. You can make an argument that you want to have some influence there. The U.S. military main force, remember, withdrew from Iraq in 2011 after failing to negotiate that status of forces agreement. You guys remember that? The SOFA agreement with the Iraqi government. Three years later, the Iraqi government then came crying to us and asked us to come back to help drive out the Islamic State, which swiftly had conquered one-third of Iraq and large parts of Syria. Now, one militant group, part of, by the way, the Iraqi government security forces, said it had no trust in any promises made by the United States. Uh, the spokesman, a guy named Harakat Hezbollah al-Nujaba, uh, said, quote, If U.S. forces do not withdraw at the end of the year, it can be defined only as an occupation. End quote. And yes, that is a spot-on impression. He vowed to keep targeting the U.S. occupation as Iraq. As long as we are there, they're basically going to go after us. The U.S. has repeatedly blamed Iranian-backed militias for attacks on the American embassy and U.S. bases within larger Iraqi bases. And these militia groups uh, keep say they, they, they still say they are avenging the killing of Major General Qasem Soleimani. You guys remember him? He was the top Iranian terrorist that we uh, turned into fucking uh, hamburger meat a year or so ago. Uh, remember those? And also, there's a lot of tensions in Iraq right now because they had those parliamentary elections back in October, as I covered, and they're still disputed. <laughs> Again, going back to my main thesis that all elections all over the world are disputed and no Americans are not special. Let's go back to... Africa and go to Burundi. Don't talk about them too much. Uh, but at least 38 people have died in a prison fire. Yeah, this went right through a prison. And by the way, there's 69 people seriously hurt as well. A the blaze started around 4 p.m. local time. Prisoners are screaming they were going to be burned alive, but the, according to one witness, an inmate told the uh, one of the local wire reporting services, police refused to open the doors of their quarters. Somehow, some of them did manage to escape. And again, with the overcrowding, with a capacity for 400 prisoners, this was at a place called Gitega Prison, they held 1,539 inmates. A tweet posted by Burundi's interior minister said a short circuit was to blame for the fire. Yeah, not doing too well with the prison stuff in Africa, are they? Now, let us go to the big summit. That's right. Sleepy Joe and Vladimir Putin had a two-hour fucking Zoom meeting, I guess, virtual summit. And Biden warned President Vladimir Putin of Russia this week that an invasion of Ukraine would result in heavy economic penalties for him and lead NATO to reposition its troops in Europe. Measures that he said would go well beyond the West's response to Russia's annexation of Crimea seven years ago. So that was a two-hour conference. Um, the American-Russian officials both described it as tense. Biden said an invasion could end Russia's hope of completing that Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline to Europe, which would be a major new source of energy revenue. So like, yeah, hey, nice pipeline you got there, Vlad. You wouldn't want anything to happen to that, would you? So we'll see. 
as you guys know, we've been covering the ongoing crisis in Ukraine, where roughly 70,000 Russian troops have massed and more equipment and personnel continue to arrive each day. Putin has given no indication of his ultimate intent. He's keeping his cards close. So we don't know if he's actually planning an invasion or if he's just bluffing, trying to get the West to pay attention to his demands by having this big crisis. Uh, it was pretty funny. There was, of course, a brief connection glitch. In the brief video of the opening moments of the call, Mr. Putin said, Greetings, Mr. President. And Biden responded, Good to see you again. End quote. Um, the Russian government, in an unusually detailed description of the encounter, said Putin had warned Biden that Western military activity in and around Ukraine was approaching a red line threatening Russia's security. Hmm. So now he's dropping the red line comments, is Putin. Meanwhile, um, bumbling, hapless, silly, fucking, what's his position again? National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan? I think he's a National Security Spokesman, I believe. I've played a couple clips of him in the past. He's kind of a big goofball. Uh, yeah, he is the national security. He's a national security advisor, Jake Sullivan. And he declined to go into detail on the call, but he did. Uh, Jake Sullivan said um, President Biden looked President Putin in the eye and told him today that things we did not do in 2014, referring to the annexation of Crimea, we are prepared to do now. <laughs> really? Siri, so you got yeah, honestly. You guys think that the American people are going to stand for the United States to send what? This would take, you know how many troops this would take to even make a fucking dent in that situation over there? This would, tens of thousands would take. So forget the handful of advisors, you know, with the Iraqi army in, in you know, Mosul or, you know, whatever we have left over in Afghanistan or something there. Forget that. This would be old timey. You would need tens of thousands of troops, armored carriers, air support, drone support, the whole thing. And there's no way we're going to do that. So what are you prepared to do? Drop some nukes? I guess that's always a possibility. I don't see anything really happening. Now, where Putin sees this red line, Ukraine and West see as a reasonable defense for a country that has already lost control of Crimea. By the way, we do not recognize that as Russian territory. We call that occupied territory. And it's not like we've been doing nothing. Since the Crimea takeover, the U.S. has committed more than $2.5 billion in security assistance, including air surveillance radars, counter-artillery radars, drones, secure comms, armed patrol boats, and Javelin anti-tank systems. Hmm. You know what? Oh, this is an interesting little thing. The Javelin anti-tank system worries Russian military leaders so much that some of the tanks seen massing on the border are sporting these new deflectors, almost like metal umbrellas, to try and deceive the Javelin's honing system. Fascinating. Uh, just a couple other quick more hits on the Russia-Ukraine situation. Ukrainian commanders do say a Russian invasion would overwhelm them. Like, they have no hope of um, standing up to that. Um, they have about 100,000 troops, do the Ukrainians, massed across Ukraine's eastern, northern, and southern borders. But they do acknowledge, do the Ukrainian officials, that, like, you know, let's be real here. 
Um, there are not sufficient military resources for repelling a full-scale attack by Russia. That is, if it begins without the support of Western forces. And they actually had a scenario painted by the head of Ukraine's military intelligence, a guy named General Kyrlo Budinov. And he kind of said, like, the worst-case scenario, which was, a Russian invasion that would begin with airstrikes and rocket attacks aimed initially at ammunition depot depots and trench-bound troops. Very quickly, he said, the Ukrainian military would be incapacitated, its leadership unable to coordinate a defense and supply the front. After that, responsibility would fall to frontline commanders to carry on the fight alone. I guess Ukraine, does Ukraine have an air force of any kind? Try not to be too ignorant here. Obviously, I know Russia does. Um, oh, here we go. Yeah, here's here's some more details. Good job. New York Times, you know, I got I know you guys hate the liberal media, as do I, but when you want good detail and the answer to the question that immediately comes to my head reading an article, the New York Times straight news is very good. And yes, they do have some of this. Here we go. Ukraine has only slightly more enlisted soldiers and officers in its entire military than what Russia has planned on the Ukrainian border. I mentioned, what, 170,000 troops? Yeah. So Ukraine has just a little bit more than that in their entire military. This is just Russia's contingent on the border. Uh, They have about 200 aircraft in their air force, including transport vehicles, and that is fewer than the number of fighter planes that Russia has already deployed to the border. (laughs) Plus, Russia's forces include battle-ready submarines and frigates in the Black Sea that are armed with cruise missiles and land-based units equipped with Iskander-M ballistic missiles. And Ukraine does not have serious missile defense systems. The Russian missiles could wipe out a significant part of the Ukrainian military in less than one hour. Yeah, that's, uh, they have no hope. Uh, will our threat to squeeze Russia's economy work? Uh, it's it's a tactic that we've tried to use at a lot in a lot of different countries, and it's really got a mixed record. Because when they did seize Crimea in 2014, that was what Obama did. He put the economic sanctions on, right? And so you could tell how much that worked. Really, not. Uh, they do say that historically, economic sanctions have more failures than successes and if you really wanted to hurt them you'd have to go after their oil exports right because that's where a lot of the revenue comes from but guess who you would hurt doing that pretty much all of western europe because they reply they they really rely on russian gas and oil exports for their energy needs so it's a big shit sandwich at the end of the at the end of the line and what about nato what is ukraine Are they a member of NATO? Well, NATO did promise Ukraine full membership in 2008, but they never really explained how or when. So, yeah. They promised membership, did NATO, to two former Soviet republics in 2008, Ukraine and Georgia. They didn't specify when or how, so Russia saw that offer as a potential threat on its borders. And from the outset, some NATO nations question whether the offer of membership was a wise move. But this is believed to have fed a lasting conflict with Vladimir Putin, who again sees this as a, you know just NATO encroaching on what he sees as his territory. 
So, yes, it is important to distinguish between NATO allies and partners because if you're an ally, then by NATO treaty, all the other NATO countries are obliged to come to your defense in a fight. So Ukraine is not a NATO ally. Ukraine is a NATO partner. So what does NATO owe a, quote, partner, end quote? Well, not much, basically. You know, so forget about NATO coming to their aid. I can't see really anything. If, if, honestly, if, if Putin wants to do this, there's little to stop him, unfortunately. We'll keep an eye on it like I have been for the last couple weeks. Let's keep going, guys. Big update here. Let us go to Germany. And yes, many of you excitedly sent this to me. I don't know. I think some of you probably assumed I didn't cover this stuff. But of course I covered this when it came out. But there is an update. And this is the electrician slash castrator. You guys remember this one? A German court did convict a 67-year-old electrician of aggravated, dangerous, and simple assault for removing the testicles of several men at their request, causing one person to die. A Munich regional court sentenced the man to eight years and six months in prison. Remember, they have those weird German privacy laws. We don't know his name. He had also been charged with murder by omission. Hmm. But prosecutors later dropped that charge. I don't know what that is. That with uh, is that if you like do something to somebody and they die later, or 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 they die because you didn't tell anyone that they were about to die? Like if a dude's bleeding out and you don't do anything, kind of. I don't know. The defendant admitted during the trial to offer castrations on sadomasochistic websites and said several men paid him money for torturing them and removing their testicles. God, dude, Germans are fucking weird, man. He told the court that he had carried out the operations on his kitchen table, telling his victims that he was a trained medical professional. He was not. He was an electrician. He told the court that he castrated or partially amputated the genitals of eight men between July July 2018 and March 2020, but he denied responsibility for the death of one man who died several days after the defendant performed a procedure on him. Police had demanded 11 years in prison for aggravated and dangerous bodily injury. And um, the defendant's lawyer asked the court to sentence him to more, more than seven years. Wow, eight years, huh, for cutting off nuts and having a guy bleed out because you cut off his nuts. Seems like a light sentence, but... And again, I would like to know where these websites are. If any of you guys could find a URL for me, I would like to know the forums where dudes are like, hey, I'm looking for somebody uh, to sever my testicles. Eh, no med- medical training is a plus, but not required. Very good. Let's go to Chile. They have legalized same-sex marriage. How about that? A landmark victory for gay rights activists that underscores how profoundly the country's politics and society have shifted in the past decade. Yes, yes, you're all big leftists now. By overwhelming majorities in both chambers, lawmakers put the unions of same-sex couples on par with others, making Chile the 31st nation to allow gay marriage. And... By the way, this uh, this is Chile. I've I've kind of covered them here and there in the past, but they've been kind of going through this turbulent left versus right thing, just as in America. 
Chile was long seen as a stable and conservative country in the region, but now all the libs are going crazy over there, and millions of uh, Chileans are demanding social change. And this kind of follows when they took to the streets in 2019 in protests that culminated in a vote to scrap the doc- the constitution that they had. That was a the constitution they had at the time was a document that was inherited from. General Augusto Pinochet's dictatorship and rewrite the laws. So, yeah, so now they have uh, very progressive laws. President Sebastian Piñera, a longtime opponent of same-sex marriage, startled the political establishment in June by coming out in favor of such unions. He urged Congress to prioritize passing this bill. The measure will be signed into law at the final stretch of Chile's polarized presidential race. Talked about that a little bit last week. The vote is on December 19th. Remember that the leading candidates are a leftist student activist named Gabriel Boric and a far right. See that? They say leftist and then they say far right. Fucking bias right in front of your face. I'm pretty sure the leftist, the former student activist is about as far left as you can get. Just guessing. Uh, the the far right former congressman is named Jose Antonio Cast, so they're way apart on every issue you can believe, including same sex marriage. Cast has said he di- disagrees with the new law. He said, "quote We respect democracy, but that doesn't mean we change our convictions. For us, marriage is between a man and a woman." End quote. <laughs> That's my Mexican guys. I only know Mexican accent. Okay, That's all I got. So that applies to every Latin American country. It's what you get. It's still probably a spot-on impression, I'm guessing, though. Uh, sex, uh, same-sex marriage has advanced in much of the world in recent years, but the vast majority of Latin Americans now live in countries where those unions are legal. In some large nations, including Brazil and Mexico, the right has been conferred by the courts instead of the legislature. Uh, the fight began in September of 2010 in Chile. When Cesar Peralta and Hans Arias, a couple who were raising two children, walked into a government office in Santiago and asked to be married, knowing full well their request would be denied. It was denied. And the couple left the building to address the reporters who they had talked to ahead of time and were dutifully assembled to this. Um, any other interesting stuff about here? The first nation in the region to legalize same-sex marriage was Argentina. And that was with a congressional vote in July of 2010. Uh, you know, they had a law. Chile had, you know, they were much more politically conservative than Argentina. They actually had a law outlawing sodomy. That was only repealed in 1999, and divorce was illegal until, until 2004. Hmm. They did propose a civil union law in 2010 for unmarried couples, but. Just like here, you know, they, they, civil union with full legal rights wasn't good enough. They wanted to say they were married. Eh, whatever. Uh, they did pass Chile a civil union law in 2015, but gay rights groups argued that same-sex couples were still deprived of rights, including the ability to adopt. Yeah, and then it went on and on, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the, they, they brought up a bill that kind of fizzled through those big demonstrations as I covered at the time on the podcast, which is why you got to listen. And in addition to Argentina, 
Same-sex marriage is legal in Brazil, Colombia, Ecuador, Uruguay, Costa Rica, and 24 of Mexico's 32 states. All right. There you go. Gays in Chile, go to it. Go to town. All right. Let's go. Where else? Uh, let's go to uh, back to the United States. The United States will not send government officials to the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing. Out of protest, this is a slap at China for human rights abuses. So it's a diplomatic boycott. They bitched out on an actual boycott, which I can kind of see. Uh, so this diplomatic boycott allows American athletes to compete, but it is seen as an affront and one of President Biden's most public condemnations of Beijing. China said it would respond with, quote, resolute countermeasures, end quote. A lot of this has to do, of course, for the abuses of the Uyghur Muslims in the Xinjiang region and those crackdowns on pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong. The calls to not go to the Olympics only intensified after the disappearance from public life recall of the tennis star uh, Peng Shui after she accused the top communist secretary of sexual assault. And I say that I, I get the diplomatic only. Because, I mean, you know, these athletes, you know, you train your whole life to go to a Winter Olympics. And this is this is your moment of glory, especially the Winter Olympics, right? I mean, there's not like a professional fucking luge circuit where you can make a lot of money. You know, the, the, or I'm thinking of other Winter Olympics events off the top of my head. It's just not like that. Track and field, the top track and field guys, yes, they can make some money. But like Winter Olympics people, you know, like fucking uh, ski jumping. They still even do that one? The really big ass ski jumping? Yeah, so this is so you compete your you know you train your whole life and this is really your big moment and it's kind of messed up for governments to say like oh well we're boycotting because we don't like China so you can't go you who have been losing your entire life or whatever you're doing. Uh, since I'm in France, I thought I'd talk to this story. Let's talk about the Notre Dame Cathedral. So I got to tell you guys, I walked over there uh, a couple days ago. It was about, I don't know, it was like a three and a half mile walk from my hotel. And uh, I decided to check out for myself the renovations. Now, you can't really get into it. It's all walled off. But the side of the wall, they have all these pictures and explanations in French and English about what they've been doing since that horrible fire broke out in 2019. And it's just incredible. Like, they are taking literally every stone and sending it to a lab and having it analyzed and studied and... All this shit. They got high-speed fucking high-angle rope guys 24-7. The construction site is 24-7. And these guys on ropes are have these special certifications, and they got to, like, dangle over these huge fucking crevasses and tangled wires and shit because there was, there was actually one of the biggest problems they have in the cathedral, and I didn't know this until I went down there. It was undergoing some renovations at the time, so it had scaffolding up a lot of it around it, and all that scaffolding like melted into this crazy mush of wires and shit and it, like melted in with the stone and the rubble and it's pretty much a bitch to take apart. So they're dealing with all that. And anyway, it's fascinating. So anyway, there's been controversy over the renovation of Notre, in Notre Dame. And this went back to the very beginning. You remember when they wanted to put some stupid fucking Disney tower on top of it or something? And everybody freaked out. They're like, "What are you are you are you mad?" This is one of the premier symbols of Christianity around the globe. And, and it, was just, it was just idiotic what they wanted to do. And it's a series of controversies. 
But it's continuing now because guess what? A commission of heritage experts gave the green light to a revamp of the interior of the cathedral. This is France's National Heritage and Architecture Commission. They have approved proposals by the Diocese of Paris to bring a more modern look to Notre Dame before its planned reopening in 2024. This includes the installation of contemporary artworks and new lighting effects. Now, opponents are unhappy. They say these changes will debase the 850-year-old cathedral and disturb the harmony of its Gothic design. So they authorize cathedral administrators to rearrange the tabernacle and other items to create more room for visitors. Notre Dame's rector, uh, Patrick Chauvet, said the proposals will allow for a more easier, more pleasant visit. Um, They will place artworks from the 20th and 21st centuries next to old master paintings from the cathedral's collection. And the, the diocese is also considering light projections on the walls of some chapels that would display short text excerpts from the Bible. That, that's stupid. Most of the confessionals would be moved to the first floor in rearrangement of the cathedral's 2,000 or so furniture items. Um, and Notre Dame's more than 12 million annual visitors will now enter through a central portal instead of via a side door. But a lot of people don't like this. Uh, and remember, guys, just uh, for a quick recap, the fire happened in April 2019. It destroyed the spire and most of the roof. So they are now in the rebuilding process because the rest of the building is, is now secure enough to do it. But French authorities initially contemplating taking the opportunity to significantly rework the cathedral's architecture. Finally, they came to their senses after a huge outcry because uh, they said, no, we got to restore it the way it was. Because last year, President Emmanuel Macron dropped the idea. He wanted to replace the 19th century spire with something more contemporary. And they were like, no, idiot. And on Tuesday of this week, about 100 public figures in France signed their names to an open letter in the newspaper Le Figaro titled, quote, Notre Dame de Paris, what the fire spared the diocese wants to destroy, end quote. They said some of these proposals recalled other immersive cultural projects were often inanity vies with kitsch. Uh, yeah, a headline in the Daily Telegraph said that Notre Dame faked a, quote, woke Disney revamp, end quote. Yeah. <laughs> uh. They did say it was a little overdone because I read that same article where they said woke Disney revamp and they said, that's not, we're not doing that. But there is stuff, people did disagree with it, but they agreed with the general theme of it. Uh, One guy said, the church is 2,000 years old. It is an old lady. It has a history that we must respect that today's people cannot erase with a stroke of the pen. And the Heritage Commission, commission did, didn't go, they, they didn't go with some of the more crazy fucking shit. Um, they denied a request, for instance, to remove statues of saints from several chapels. And it asked for a review for other stuff like that. So they, they, they promised they would not make it Disneyland. All right, well, we'll see. Keep an eye on that one as well. Uh, let's see here. Let's go to a few animal stories. You guys know I like those. Uh, 900 bison at Yellowstone are being targeted for removal. 
Yes, uh, the bison will be slaughtered, shot by hunters, or relocated under a plan to address a booming population at the national park that could lead to overgrazing. So remember, bison are the North American land animal. Buffalo are the Africa-Asian land mammal. Now there are too many bison, according to the National Park Service. So uh, if they overgraze the land, they can cause possible mass starvation of other animals, and they say doing nothing is not a realistic option. So most areas around Yellowstone continue to limit where bison are allowed, and human development on its habitat has hindered expansion uh, of its range. Okay. While wolves have recently made a healthy comeback in the park, they have had little effect in reducing the number of bison because bison are six feet tall and weigh 2,000 pounds. Also, they can jump like mofos, as I found out recently. Now, officials say bison would not be hunted inside Yellowstone, unlike in the Grand Canyon National Park, where this year hunters were allowed for the first time to kill bison inside the park because they were causing havoc to the area's ecosystem. The Yellowstone bison have been increasing by about 10 to 17% every year. Uh, So far, they said hunting has not done much to solve the problem, at least in Yellowstone, because they say that the bison are pretty smart. They're wary. They learn. They learn where the property boundaries are, et cetera, et cetera. The Park Service documented only two bison that were shot outside the park in the winter of 2019-2020. Most of the 834 bison removed during that time were herded into the Stevens Creek Capture Facility and then transferred to local Indian tribes. It says tribes, I'm assuming Indian tribes, which take the animals to slaughterhouses. Huh. And all, members of uh, native tribes, by the way, all uh, have an option to hunt bison as well. All right. And the other animal story, I mentioned wolves. Uh, Let's talk about wolves in Oregon. Oregon wildlife troopers found five dead wolves in February, then a sixth in March, a seventh in April, and an eighth in July. And the animals were killed by poisoning. The state cops are now pleading with the public for help, saying that the authorities have exhausted leads in the case. All five wolves in a group called the Catherine Pack, this is in eastern Oregon, and three wolves from other packs were among the animals killed. They have a $36,000 reward for information leading to a arrest. The police did not say what substances were used, and they did not say whether they believed the poisonings were deliberate or what might have motivated them. Uh, it is illegal to shoot wolves in Oregon except in defense of human life and in some situations related to livestock protection. Oregon does not allow any hunting of wolves at this time, adding that penalties for wildlife crimes could include thousands of dollars and jail time, depending on the charges. Hmm. Uh, let's see here. I know you got. I remember last time I went off on the wolf thing, and I heard from many of you guys, and you're and you were saying that the, uh, and I get it. You you were saying that the uh, fucking wolves get livestock and get in there, and you have to do it. Okay, fair enough. But. I don't. Do, they, do you think? Do you think you get person poisoning a whole pack? Does it sound like a, a farmer or something to you? I'm not so sure about that one, but who knows? Anything else about in Oregon? State wildlife biologists counted 173 wolves in Oregon of last year, so they're doing just fine. 
All right. Well, I did. I forgot. I have one more wildlife story. How about this headline? Volunteer dies after a sheep charges her on a therapy farm. Yeah. 73-year-old Kim Taylor went into cardiac arrest after being attacked while caring for livestock at a Massachusetts farm. She was repeatedly rammed by a sheep at this farm that uses animals and mental health therapy. This is a Cultivate Care Farms in Bolton, about 40 miles west of Boston. She was alone, been caring for the livestock, and the animal charged at her. She suffered serious injuries and then went into cardiac arrest shortly after the Boston police and EMTs arrived. This happened about 8.30 in the morning, but no witnesses were present. Holy shit, dude, what, a sheep? Not a ram, a sheep. They say sheep. So that's a, well, is that a female or is a sheep just the catch-all name? You is the female, right? I don't know. I'm a city boy, you guys. Bear with me here. Oh, no, yeah, so sheep is the catch-all. Male sheep, known as rams, can occasionally behave aggressively, but fatal attacks on humans are extremely rare. The authorities in the farm did not release any more information about the animal. Oh, that's very sad. She was a nurse for more than 30 years, had just retired, and this was what she was doing in her spare time. Terrible. A uh, couple uh, long-time cases are being closed. The Justice Department has closed the Emmett Till investigation without charges. They announced on Monday that, uh, yes, the investigation into the abduction and murder of Emmett Till, the African-American teenager who's killing by two white men more than six decades ago in Mississippi, helped begin the civil rights movement, would be shut. They said that there was not enough evidence to pursue charges in the case, which was reopened after a historian claimed in a book that Carol Bryant Donham, the central witness whose account of an encounter with Emmett led to his death, had recanted the most salacious portions of her story, that he had grabbed her and made sexually suggestive remarks. There is a statute of limitations cited and her denial that she had ever changed her story. So they say they can't move forward, we don't have any evidence, and we can't prosecute her for perjury, so what do you want us to do? During a moment of the trial in which jurors were not present, Donham claimed that the teenager had made sexually vulgar comments towards her and made physical contact. But in a book published in 2017 called The Blood of Emmett Till by a guy named Timothy Tyson, the author wrote that Donham had recanted her testimony in a 2008 interview, saying that the earlier stories she told were, quote, not true, end quote. He, he said, he, he quoted her as saying, quote, nothing that boy did could ever justify what happened to him, end quote. Well, that, that's not a quote saying it, it didn't, that's not a recantation. <laughs> maybe she was just saying like, you know, years and decades later, yeah, he did grab me, but you know, maybe it wasn't enough to like get him killed brutally. So that call, that renewed calls for the case to be reopened. Apparently the justice department has nothing better to do in this time of Antifa and gang violence and murder rates at an all time high. I'll get to more on that in a moment. And yeah, they have plenty of time for fucking 60 year old cases though. Uh, and also, um, the family of Donham, she's 87 now, still alive. She's rarely spoken public about the case. Her former husband and another man confessed to Emmett's murder, though the confessions came after they were acquitted by an all-white jury. 
in this happened in 1955. Emmett Till was 14. Just a, a recap. A witness said Emmett whistled at Ms. Donham. She says he touched her. Days later, Bryant and his half-brother um, abducted, tortured, and shot the teenager. And that uh, was a big part of the civil rights. So that's one case that was closed. Also, an inv- another investigation, the military has ended the Pearl Harbor Project to identify the dead. Yeah, that's right. Um they uh, recently, you guys know, December seventh uh, was the 80th anniversary of Pearl Harbor. Drew the United States into World War II. By the way, the military had said this week that a six-year project to identify those killed on the USS Oklahoma had matched human remains from the ship with the names of 355 sailors and Marines. 33 of the ship's crew members could not be re-identi- could not be identified by comparing remains with DNA samples from relatives or dental records as part of the project which began in 2015 and officials say now has ended the pentagon says those remains will be reinterred re uh, reinterred right like as in reburied on Tuesday at the National Memorial Cemetery of the P- Pacific in Hawaii otherwise known as the punch bowl in total, 429 crew members from the USS Oklahoma died after several torpedoes struck the ship. Nearly three times as many service members as that died aboard the USS Arizona, which took the heaviest losses in the attack. Okay, let's keep going here. Let's do a couple of uh, domestic stories. California has positioned itself as a refuge of abortion rights. God, I you know, I don't even want to cover abortion anymore, but honestly, you guys know my feelings on it. This is way beyond, though. So now political leaders said they were working to make the state a sanctuary for women seeking abortions if a Supreme Court ruling allows the procedure to be banned in more conservative parts of the country. So this proposal, which was released with the backing of bumbling, incompetent Governor Gavin Newsom, calls for increased funding for abortion providers and dozens, dozens of other measures to make it easier for clients to access abortion services and providers to get paid. It also includes a recommendation to fund the procedure for low-income women who come to California to get an abortion. Oh, come on. You guys, I think abortion should be legal. I don't want to pay for anybody's abortion. That is ridiculous. Yeah, Tony Atkins, the head of the California Senate... She's my state senator, too, by the way. Giant goof. Said the details of how abortions would be funded for out-of-state women would have to be negotiated in the state legislature next year, but could be a mixture of state and private funds. Yeah, great. Fine. Private funds, do all you want. Um, 21 states have anti-abortion laws already in place that could be in effect if Roe versus Wade is overturned. Uh, okay. I'm, you know what? I'm just going to leave. Oh, by the way, about 15% of the nation's abortions are performed in California. That is slightly more than the state's 12% share of the national population. Tony Atkins, by the way, she began her career at a woman's health center. She says California for decades had been accustomed to providing abortion services to women from Mexico. And remember, abortion was just decriminalized in Mexico last September. Uh, She thinks that the legislature is going to increase state funds for abortion services next year. 
Medi-Cal, the states, that's our state's medical system for low-income residents, covers nearly half of all abortions performed in the state. That's a, I just don't want to pay for it. Just like I don't want to pay for a lot of other procedures. All right. Let's see here. Let's go to... Well, guys, I, I want to go right into it because I know many of you are waiting for me to get to it. So we might as well fucking go ahead and have fun with it. And of course... Of course you know where I'm going. It is the Jussie, Juicy Smollett hate crime case. Yes, it was hilarious. Everybody knew from the beginning that was total nonsense, but the media ran with it. They knew it was nonsense. Don't, don't get it wrong. The media absolutely knew it was bullshit. And many of the elected politicians that a lot of you were having fun with pulling out their old tweets, many of them knew it was bullshit, but it didn't matter. Basically, all these media outlets, the celebrities and everything, they all knew it was bullshit because it was so obviously bullshit. But they figured, you know, nothing will ever happen. If he gets caught, whatever, there won't be any consequences, and uh, and we'll all just move on. But the city decided to actually go after him and make an example, which they absolutely should have. And he has been found guilty of uh, falsely reporting he was the victim of a racist and homophobic attack. Yes, that's right. And well fucking deserved to, honestly. He was convicted of filing a false police report. The jury deliberated about nine hours. Um, yeah. He, and you know what the funny... He, did you guys see he testified? He took the stand in his own defense, and he was talking about, like, for some reason, he was talking about how he did cocaine, and uh, he and one of the Nigerian brothers used to jack each other off. And I'm like, well, what does that have to do exactly with you faking the hate crime? Doesn't make any sense. And Jesse Small just went up there and lied through his teeth. Just lied and lied and lied. It was fucking comedy, dude. Remember, this happened January 29th, 2019. Smollett was, I didn't even know who he was. Told the police he'd been a victim of a hate crime near his apartment building in Chicago. He said one of his attackers even yelled, quote, This is MAGA country! End quote. And then Chicago officials sued Small to recoup some of the city's costs. I mean, the investigators... Remember, investigators came to the conclusion three weeks after the attack that he had staged it himself. Okay? And also remember... The office of the city's top prosecutor, Kim Fox, had tried to get them to drop the case because she's one of these fucking woke DAs that I'm always telling you guys about. And, yeah, so her, um, yeah, they decided to go after him and get the money back because cops spent a lot of time and effort doing this. And the prosecutors argued in court that Smollett had instructed the two brothers, Ambimbola, Osendero, and Ola Binjo Osendero on all these details of the attack. He, they, he specified that they should punch him only hard enough to create a bruise, pour bleach on his clothing, and place a rope around his neck like a noose. And if, if guys, if you haven't seen it, by the way, Google Jussie Smollett noose picture because it's not even a new, it's almost like he it's almost like a basketball net was cut off of a rim and like thrown over his head. It looks absurd. It doesn't even look like anything. It's so silly and ridiculous. So, of course, when a cop shows up and sees that, one, his first question is like, why do you still have that on? And two, uh, what is that? It was absurd. And, uh, yeah, 
He wanted this uh, to happen because he'd received a death threat in the mail and was upset because the producers behind Empire, the television show he's in, did not react strongly enough. Yeah. And the, the defense attorney, again, with defense attorney, when you know your client's guilty, you just throw up all kinds of shit, try to distract the jury, and, and hope that you get one fucking goofball in the jury who hangs it. That's what you hope to do. Didn't work in this case. But the defense attorney said the Osendero brothers were liars. They attacked Smollett to scare him into hiring them as bodyguards, and they came up with this story to avoid prosecution themselves. Hilarious. Smollett, by the way, is 39 years old. Imagine, and you know what the funny fucking thing is? This was all because of, honestly, because of Trump. <laughs> it all comes back to the orange man. Dude destroyed his life because he was trying to become a victim of Trump's America. That, that's, that's all it was. Can you imagine being obsessed with a politician that much where you do this kind of shit? Like you, you literally wreck your life over a fucking politician. Remember, they, they even practiced it. They did a dry run in the car. Oh, man. It's too fucking funny, dude. Uh, the brothers, the Nigerian brothers, said they agreed to this because one of them had a stand-in on Empire, you know, like a, a small role, and he kind of felt indebted to Smollett for getting in that role. Yeah. And, yeah, prosecutors had evidence of the uh, fucking... Uh, they, they, had, they had camera surveillance of the dry run. All kinds of shit. He's just a fucking giant goof. And all that. So, it, it's pretty funny. I'm not going to go through the whole details of the trial because everybody by now knows um, it's done. So, the question is, what's the next thing? Like, what's he, uh, he going to do? Well, his sentencing is in a couple weeks. I, I You know what? I, I do... I, originally, I was like, you know what? He's not going to get one day of prison time. I actually don't know about that now. Because the prosecutor handled the case, Daniel Webb, he's like, one, this motherfucker just went up on a stand and lied through his teeth under oath. Two, he has not been repentant at all. And that's the other funny thing. You know what? He could have, if he wanted to, when the cops were like, dude, we know you did this. He could have been like, all right, you know what? Fuck. I fucked up. I'm an idiot. I was insane there for a minute, and I thought I could bring some attention to myself and I'm really fucking sorry. And I, I really apologize to the police and all the time I wasted. I'm, I'm humbled myself in front of you and I'm sorry. And it was stupid of me. I'm sorry. If he had done that, none of this shit would have happened, <laughs> but too much fucking pride, man. Every once in a while, you kids out there, listen to your uncle BK. Now, every once in a while, eating a big old slice of humble pie is the best thing you can do. Every man has had to do it in his life. I'm no different. Your dad is no different. Every badass motherfucker you guys see on the internet, you know, some fucking high-speed high uh, Delta Force uh, SEAL PJ Recon Marine Sniper CAG Operator Ranger guy, they've all had to eat humble pie. It's a good, it's good. You can't really be a man until you've had to eat shit is the lesson here. So, yeah, I, I still, part of me believes he won't see a day in jail. But again, this, this prosecutor is uh, not happy. He's not happy because there's been no repentance at all. As a matter of fact, to back up what I just said, Eddie Johnson was the Chicago police chief who arrested Jussie Smollett. Well, not personally, but you know what I mean. Yeah, he, he said basically when Smollett was arrested, 
um, he, he would have not pursued criminal charges. A small just admitted, you know what, I, I, he, he was lying. Uh, Eddie Johnson, by the way, if you don't remember, he was fired in December of 2019 after being caught drunk and asleep at the wheel, and he also had a few fucking sex flings with the staff. <laughs> I mean, it is Chicago after all, right? So, yes. And, yeah, it's just too funny. The Probably one of the funniest moments of the trial was when Jussie Smollett scolded the white prosecutor for repeating the N-word while reading out texts he sent to the Nigerian brothers. <laughs> He's trying to be woke to the end. Yeah. he Smollett told him not to use the word out of respect for every African-American in the room. Oh, but it's okay for you to do it, right? I'm going to quote the actual tweets here. So, again, if you're offended by the N-word, we use it in quotes here because this is an adult show. So, fucking grow up. Here it is. Smollett, became, Smollett was cross-examined. Uh, he sent Instagram private messages to Abel... Osendero in the hours before the attack with prosecutors suggesting he was filling him in on the fact his flight from New York to Chicago was delayed, which would de- delay the plan. And so he texted, quote, nigga, this is brutal. Still on this damn runway, end quote. And then another one was, quote, nigga, finally made it, end quote. So again, he repeatedly used the N-word. So Webb, the attorney, the prosecutor, is reading the text aloud. Of course, Webb, who's white, he did apologize. Fucking fuck off. Don't apologize. You should. It, you're real. Don't apologize to him. That was a. That's kind of a bitch move. Um. And so yes, yeah, so I do have a couple clips I would like to play. First of all, I want to play this clip. You know the actor El- Elliot Page that was formerly Ellen Page. Ellen, the female. Uh, El- Ellen, the woman, I should say, became uh, Elliot, the man. Yeah, she, uh, he's transgender. Well, this is back on Stephen Colbert, who, of course, is a giant, woke, unfunny goof. But this is a little while after the arrest. But Elliot Page went on Stephen Colbert and did a fucking, like, grandstanding, weepy acting job and received a standing ovation. I just want to play this for you as an example of how snowed the celebrities were of stupid Jussie Smollett. that's saying it's a debate whether or not what just happened to Jussie Smollett is a hate crime. It's absurd. The isn't a debate. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. I'm Stephen Colbert, buddy. I'm from Canada, buddy. This is how you have to be fired up. It feels impossible to not feel this way right now with the president and the vice president, Mike Pence, who, like, wishes I couldn't be married. Let's just be clear. president of America wishes I didn't have the love with my wife. He wanted to ban that in Indiana. He believes in conversion therapy. Oh. He has hurt LGBTQ <laughs> people so badly as the government of Indiana. And I think the thing we need to know, and I hope my show Gaycation did this in terms of connecting the dots, in terms of what happened the other day to Jesse. I don't know him personally. I saw I sent all of my love. Connect the dots. Connect the dots. This okay. is what happens. This is if what happens, Mr. Power, and you hate people. And you want to cause suffering to them. You go through the trouble. You spend your career trying to cause suffering. What do you think is going to happen? Oh, God, why? Kids are going to be abused, and they're going to kill themselves. And people are going to be beaten on the street. So powerful, you guys. I have traveled the world, and I have met the most marginalized people you could meet. I am lucky to have this time and the privilege to say this. 
What? This needs to stop. What does? Wait, what? Wait, what? Need, what needs to stop? I don't. Nothing happened though. Was, he did it to himself, Elliot. Yes, very, very good. Big, yes, very so powerful. So, that's so powerful, you guys. Seriously, so powerful. <laughs> God. Uh, and then, of course, Brian Stelter from CNN. You know what? This guy. First of all, he's thirty. He's only thirty-six years old. I was legitimately shocked to hear that. He looks like an old fucking man, dude. Like his show, this podcast probably outdraws his show. And I wanted what, like, what fucking executive does he have naked pictures of with like you know boys in bed or something? How does he keep his show? He's been on CNN for years, and his show is consistently the absolute lowest of the low in ratings. And somehow he just keeps trucking. I don't get it. Every single tweet of his is completely torn apart. On every time he tweets, people ridicule him endlessly. But here he was. Uh, this was on. Uh, this was back in March 26, 2019. So like two months after. This is after the police had arrested Small. And here's fucking Stelter. Like, oh, this is all so confusing. I don't know what to believe. We might not know whatever happened, you guys. Fox, but this is a key part of the story, Neil, because uh, I, I do think he just wants to get back to work. That's what a friend of Small just said to me. He wants to act. He wants to get back <laughs> he, to work. Oh, he's He'd acting. He'd actually been taken off. Two of the episodes of Empire. His, his future uh, as a Hollywood actor has been in limbo for the past few weeks. So his lawyers have been trying to get to this point so that he can return to work. Uh, so far, no comment from the network. But I do think we will see Smollett get back to work. Uh, no, because the, no. the narrative has once again changed from victim uh, you know, to villain back to victim. It's been very confusing. As, as Ryan was saying, uh, people don't know what to believe, and we may never really know what happened on the street that night in Chicago. No, we know exactly what happened that night on the street in Chicago. We know exactly what happened. Idiot. Oh, and then here's a little bit of a montage, because I know you guys were begging for the montage. And here is when the media just swallowed the story hole every single detail, because remember, they wanted it to be true. They want it to be true. The big stories they amplify, they want to be true. Let's listen to our little mixtape here. Beaten with a noose around his neck and hospitalized. Empire star Jesse Smollett was the victim of a vicious, racist, and homophobic attack. His attackers hurled racial and homophobic slurs. Two people yelled racist and homophobic slurs. Racial and homophobic slurs. The offenders uttered... This is MAGA country. A hate crime went down early this morning in Chicago. Officials are investigating the alleged assault as a hate crime. And now police say they're investigating this as a possible hate crime. This is this is stomach-turning, mind-boggling mm-hmm. information. It's, it's out of control. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi tweeting the racist homophobic attack on Jesse Smollett is an affront to our humanity. And Senator Cory Booker said the vicious attack on actor Jesse was an attempted modern-day lynching. Kamala Harris calling the attack an attempted modern-day lynching. That tweet is still so up, by the way. The story. This is horrible to report. This is a horrible story. Ellie, this is a horrible story. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the circumstances wow. are just horrific. Absolutely <laughs> despicable. Yeah, a lot of people can't believe this is actually happening in 2019. It's hard to believe that we're reporting, that we're even saying words like this in 2019. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is America in 2019. Oh, Jesus. This is America. My God. And then, guys, finally... Just for fun, I did put this out on Twitter, but this this actually went out some time ago, but it resurfaced this little uh, skit 
I normally don't play skits, but this was too funny not to share because the last line fucking just killed me. So some guy on Twitter, he decided to uh, make a little skit, and he's pretending to be Jussie Smollett and the two Nigerian brothers rehearsing the attack, and I thought it was so well done and so funny. I'm just going to play it for you guys to wrap it up. Let's listen to this. Here's Jussie walking out of the store. Is that team? Are we, do we have to go now? We have to right go now, right now. Come on, hurry up, hurry up. Aren't you the man from the Empire show? That movie? Yes. Got a problem? Yes. Um, um what do you doing around guys, here? Guys, guys, come on. The accent. More white, more racist. Hibbly. Oh, KKK. Oh, 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 okay. Hey, nigger. Stop right there. What are you doing in our camp? Aren't you that nigger from Empire? Yes, I am. I'm the gate super. What's good? What's good? Nigger, what the hell you doing over here? Get more aggressive, more aggressive. That the wrong shit, Wrap rope around his neck. Let me fight back a little bit. Let me fight back. Ow, that hurt, nigger. What the hell you do? More bleach on his nigger. Hold on, I'm gonna get the water. Hurry up. Hurry up. Please, stop doing it, please. This is MAGA country now, nigger. You don't belong here. We don't like. We don't like your gay single ass over here. Don't you ever bring your ass around here, nigger boy. Or we'll beat your ass again. Please don't do it, please. Hit him one last time to show we're serious. Oh. And run away so the cops don't see anything that we already did. All right. Oh. Why? Why me? Why me? What's that? Good? Oh, that's good. You guys got to catch that? No, you told me it was on me Venmo. Venmo? I said cash app. Oh, I get the cash app right time, now. West Time Union, me, because I don't have my papers. <laughs> oh, I'm still laughing as I watch it. It's too funny. Oh, my God. Oh, God, yeah. So there's Jesse. I'm sure he'll be back. He'll work again doing something stupid. But, yeah, man, the fucking media, the way they just embrace this shit because, again, they fucking want it to be true so bad. And it blows up. I mean, compare... Guys... We still have, and thank you to the many of you who, who sent me the correct pronunciation. I believe it's Waukesha. Remember, the driver, the black nationalist who hated white people and cops who fucking ran over white people in Waukesha, Wisconsin, killed six of them, including a small boy. There's still a shitload of people in critical condition in the hospital, and the media hasn't even talked about it in weeks. It's been weeks. They don't care. They absolutely do not care. Why don't they care? Because it's not part of a narrative that they're trying to push. Because, and the narrative they're trying to push is all black people in America are horribly oppressed. Um, They are uh, poverty stricken. This is in the eyes of the white liberal. All black people live in ghettos, have no hope of escaping, and are constantly being hunted by red-hatted, make-America-great-again, white trailer trash hillbillies, even in the streets of Chicago at 2.30 in the morning uh, during the winter when it's fucking zero degrees outside. That's really what they think. It's just So the, the guy who slaughtered people in Waukesha, hence, he gets one one billionth of the coverage of Jussie Smollett, of the January 6th Capitol rioters, which was that shit. The guys fought the cops. It was over in a few hours, and it's being talked about like 9-11. That's why. So, just... And speaking of January 6th, and remember, you guys, remember a long time ago I told you that the January 6th anniversary, because it's coming up, right? That is going to be the fucking most... That's going to be like an outpouring of grief from the media like you've never seen. I can, I, I'm reading the headlines now. One year in. 
an attack on our democracy. You know, January 6th, a day where democracy hung by a thread. I can see the fucking headlines like they're right in front of me now. And this is going to be front page of the stupid wood dead tree newspaper, you guys. All over some bullshit where a bunch of fucking hillbillies fought the cops and got prosecuted and are going to jail and serving their time and it was over in a few hours. Our sacred democracy. Oh, and I love that. It's like, this is our sacred temple of democracy. I'm like, that's where Nancy Pelosi gets her fucking bribe money. <laughs> sacred temple of democracy. But yeah, they are going to go fucking hyperventilate about that. And it's a year old and nothing happened. Literally nothing happened. A bunch of hillbillies fought the cops. Some goofball QAnon people wandered around in the Capitol, and then the cops kicked them all out, and it was all over. And this, that chick got shot by because she tried to fucking break down a door where there were members of Congress. As I said before, you don't want to fucking feel the heat, stay out of the kitchen, dude. I mean, I feel bad she was shot, but I'm a longtime supporter of police doing what they have to do in the heat of the moment. So, But January 6th, yes, the one-year anniversary is coming up. And just brace yourself now and remember I told you about it because it, the hysteria is going to be through the roof. There's, and you know what the funny thing is? Nobody really cares outside the media and blue check liberals on Twitter about January 6th. They, they just don't because most people have like kind of fucking moved on because we're adults and have other problems in our lives and there's other stories every week. So they just constantly flog it. Like, I don't know if you guys are on Twitter or not, but on Twitter, every fucking... They're constantly talking about it. They still talk like Trump is the president. Like now, he's been out of office almost a year, and they still talk about him. It's crazy. Because Biden's a dud. And the latest story, I bring up January 6th because uh, they have that committee, and they're now examining a PowerPoint document that was sent to Mark Meadows. He's the former White House chief of staff. And... uh they're, they're looking at a PowerPoint document filled with plans to overturn the 2020 election um, that he had turned over to the panel. The document had recommended that Trump declare a national emergency to delay the certification of the election results and included a claim that China and Venezuela had obtained control over the voting infrastructure in a majority of the states. <laughs> uh, yeah, so anyway, that's going on if you still care. I only really did that story to let you guys know fucking the hysteria that is that is coming. And, and by the way, the rest of us, instead of worrying about the QAnon shaman who fucking took pictures in the Capitol for three hours, and that was just like Pearl Harbor and 9-11 combined, apparently, the rest of us are worried about inflation. And guess what? Consumer prices also rose at the fastest pace since 1982. That is the consumer price index, and it fucking jumped big time. Prices are rising at the fastest rate in nearly 40 years. Fresh data released on Friday showed. The consumer price index climbed by 6.8% in the year through November. So inflation climbed by 4.9%. And by the way, that's after stripping out food and fuel. And they strip those two things out because those costs can move a lot from month to month. So, so to provide a more stable inflation rate, they take those two out of what they use to show inflation. Five fucking percent. That's the fucking fastest since 1991. So what are they going to do next? Well, they don't know. Federal officials have become increasingly concerned about inflation, but uh, they don't really know what they're going to do. Used cars continue to be in demand, as are couches. 
uh, factories around the world actually struggled to keep up with the surge in buying because we were all sitting at home and we had nothing to do. So what do we do? We went on Amazon and bought crap that we didn't need. So let's uh, keep going, though. Bob Dole has died. 98-year-old Bob Dole, uh, World War II hero, senator, of course, a candidate for president of the United States, um, a, a great man. Uh, he was a Republican. He had announced in February that he had stage four lung cancer and was beginning treatment. He was nominated for vice president in 1976 and then for president in 1996. He spent a quarter century in the Senate where he was the Republican Party's longest serving leader until Mitch McConnell surpassed that record in June of 2018. Uh, so, yes, he had been in a lieutenant in the Army's 10th Mountain Division and was wounded so badly on a battlefield he was left for dead. In his post-political career, he devoted himself to raising money for the World War II Memorial in Washington. And he also helped pass the Americans with Dis Disabilities Act. Uh, he was one of the signatories of that. And he was National Republican Chairman under President Richard Nixon in the 70s. He, he's just a fucking giant in the 20th century America. And as a lot of the fucking jerks on Twitter pointed out, yes, he was almost alone among the old Republicans in endorsing Donald Trump for president in 2016. And by the way, he only did that after his preferred candidate had fallen by the wayside. That was just like me. I said, well, he's not my preferred, but whoever's running against Hillary, that's who I'm voting for. It's Trump? Okay, I'm voting for Trump. Not a fucking hard choice. But yeah, he did run for the White House three times. He won the nomination in 96. He lost to President Bill Clinton. And, uh, yeah. So, Bob Dole, man. Fucking war hero. Hard charger. Definitely one of the original pipe hitters. And then, this was funny. He, he did get in one last dig at the Democrats in a farewell letter. Uh, it was read by his daughter at his funeral in Washington, D.C. this week. And... He wrote the following in his farewell letter, quote, I know that God will be walking with me. I also confess that I'm a bit curious to learn and find if I am correct in thinking that heaven will look a lot like Kansas and to see, like others who have gone before me, if I will still be able to vote in Chicago, end quote. That's great. Of course, the old joke about dead people voting in Chicago. So yeah, Bob Dole, rest in peace. All right. This story is actually left over from last week, and I rarely do this, but when they're so good and I don't get to them, I, I, I try to make an exception. And this was the fucking Canadian medical researcher who rose to become Canada's top voice on, digini on indigenous health. Well, she's been fired from her government job after faking being a native Canadian. Um, you know what? My I swear, minorities have it so badly that white people are constantly trying to fake being one. It fucking kills me. Too funny, dude. This is Carrie Barassa, a public health expert who served as scientific director of the Canadian Institutes of Health Researchers Institute of Indigenous Peoples Health. Well... Canadian Broadcasting Corporation published a lengthy expose on her background after suspicious colleagues alerted them to it. So far from being a member of the Metis Nation, as she had long claimed, a trace of her family tree 
revealed that her supposedly indigenous ancestors were in fact immigrant farmers who hailed from Russia, Poland, and Czechoslovakia. Oh, uh, that's so funny, dude. So colleagues began to doubt her as she began to add claims of Anishinaabe and Tlingit heritage to our tale. And then this is what probably sunk her. So got, kids, here's another lesson for you. Always kind of just stay in the middle. You want to be the gray man, right? You don't want to go from one extreme to the other. What did this chick do? Like like when PJ selection, right? You don't want to be the best guy at PJ selection because then it's like you got a lot of weight to carry. You're always expected to be the top performer. And you definitely don't want to be the worst guy because then you're like a bag of shit. You want to be right there in the middle, right? So what did this chick do? She took to dressing in outrageous indigenous fashion. Like, just faking her family tree wasn't enough for her. Then she began dressing the part. Like, she was wearing all kinds of robes and carrying fucking sticks and feathers and shit like that. Like, I'm looking at pictures of her right now. So, and here, here we go. In 2019, she gave a TEDx talk to the University of Saskatchewan. And... She appeared in full tribal regalia, draped in an electric blue shawl with a feather in her partially braided hair. And she said, she she introduced herself to the crowd as they cheered, by the way. Of course, they're all white libs. They cheered madly, hysterically. And she introduced herself by saying, quote, My name is Morning Star Bear. I'm Bear Clan. I'm... Anishinaabe Metis from Treaty 4 Territory, end quote. She described an impoverished childhood beset by violence. But then an associate professor of indigenous studies said when she saw that TED talk, she was repulsed by how hard she was working to pass herself off as indigenous. This associate professor was actually a documented member of an indigenous nation. And she's the one who started digging and all that. So they pressed her to provide evidence of Native American heritage. She changed her story, saying then that she had been adopted into the Metis community. And of course, this is a long history of white women trying to be ethnic minorities, including Rachel Dolezal. You guys remember her? The white woman who claimed to be black as president of the local NAACP. And of course, uh, Senator Elizabeth Sitting Bull Warren, who claimed Native American ancestry on the strength of her family lore and her cheekbones. Too funny. I love those stories. So guys, keep sending those for sure. Uh, let's go to the Smoking Gun. I love that website. And how about this? Uh, a Florida woman, Catherine Trammell, 37, caused $500 in damage to an after to a bathroom inside a bar in Seminole, Florida, because she was banging so hard, getting banged inside a restaurant bathroom, she broke a sink off the wall. Oh, boy. According to an arrest affidavit, Trammell and a friend were asked to leave the restaurant after staff discovered them in the bathroom. So they left the bathroom, then they sat at the bar. But then they returned to the bathroom, and it was at this point that they fucking banged so hard that the sink was damaged. And so she was then charged with criminal mischief. Oh, here's this is interesting, though. Trammell's friend from the affidavit appears to be a male. However, he does not seem to have been similarly charged in connection with the sink destruction. Hmm. Well, that's sexist and not right, right? I don't know. 
Okay, let's do uh, this one here. Let's go to... Um, oh, here. well, here, quickly, you guys. Since I'm in France, I'll do a couple French stories. You remember that huge crash in the Tour de France uh, a few months ago? That was when the fan held up the cardboard sign for the television cameras, and, like, one guy hit it, and then in comedic fashion, like, fucking 100 other guys hit it, and it was just, it was all over social media. Yeah, the the 31-year-old woman was not publicly identified, but a French court this week convicted and fined her, and she's 31 years old. She was found guilty by a criminal court of reckless endangerment because she stepped into the road during the race. Her back was to the cyclists. Well, she was fined about 1,200 euros. That's actually far less than the maximum penalties she was facing. She could have gotten a one-year prison term and a fine of 15,000 euros. She had no criminal record. Uh, so the first guy who hit her was a German rider, Tony Martin. He fell to the ground, and it was a fucking just shit show after that. So there's your conclusion of that case. Uh, let us see. Let's go to this one. A UK court has ruled that Julian Assange can be extradited to the United States. Yeah, British court ruled on Friday that Julian Assange can be here, uh, sent here to face charges that could result in decades of jail time, reversing a lower court decision in the long-running case against the WikiLeaks founder. The Biden administration has pursued an effort to prosecute Mr. Assange. That began under the Trump administration. Assange will seek to appeal the decision to Britain's Supreme Court. The Justice Department's decision to charge Assange under the Espionage Act in connection with obtaining and publishing secret government documents has raised First Amendment issues, alarmed advocates of media freedom. But because he has been overseas the whole time, those questions have not been litigated. So if he is actually transferred to the United States, this is going to be a huge swimming in legal ramifications, constitutional ramifications court case. So the extradition case in Britain had nothing to do with the charges. That was on whether prison conditions in the U.S. are too harsh for his mental health. Uh, in a ruling that he could be extradited, they, the high court in London said that they were satisfied by the Biden administration's assurances that they would not hold him at the highest security facility in the United States and that if he were convicted, <clears throat> we would let him serve his sentence in his native Australia and that he would receive any necessary psychological uh, treatment. Well, yeah, oh, I'll be very interested to hear that. Remember, Assange first fled to the Ecuadorian embassy in London in 2012. He remained in that embassy for seven years. You believe that shit? Seven years. And, and that embassy is not large. He was thrown out of the embassy finally. They got sick of him in 2019. I vaguely remember that. I'm trying to remember, like, what it was for. Wasn't he, like, doing gross shit? Like, hold on, I'm going to... I'm just going to open a quick tab here because I, I want to say that he was thrown out for being gross. Um, does it say you're in this new tab here? Uh, no, it does. This is a, that was a misleading tab headline that they had. But yeah, I did hear stories about him being gross, so I'm just going to leave it at that. So he was ejected in 2019. And then he was arrested by the Brits uh, right after that. 
And of course, this all comes on his 2010 publication of diplomatic and military files leaked by Chelsea Manning, formerly Bradley Manning, the former Army intelligence analyst. And it does not include the charges, his publication during the 2016 of election of Democratic emails stolen by Russia. So prosecutors have made two sets of accusations. One, he participated in a criminal hacking conspiracy. And two, he solicits and publishes information the government deems secret and that that violates the Espionage Act. So, so far he's coming here unless his appeal works out. This is a really sad story. Did you guys see this? Demarius Thomas, ex-National Football League star for the Denver Broncos, was found dead at 33 years old. He had just retired in June. He died at his home in Roswell, Georgia. And uh, the Daily Mail is uh, reporting that the family says he had a seizure in the shower and he died. Um, <clears throat> he, he, was a, he, was, he was a tremendous uh, football player. And his his bio, ESPN had a long article about him. It's worth you guys looking up and reading. And you can also see this in the New York Times article. But basically, his mom and his grandmother were both arrested on drug trafficking charges when he was 11 years old. His mom got like 20 years in prison. Grandma got like life and parole. All this shit. And he, he had to grow up like that. Very tough. Uh, and this was very backwards rural Georgia, like central Georgia, like middle of nowhere, real poverty, and um, just a you know, tough, tough upbringing. And uh, by all accounts, he was really a, a great guy. And just 33 years old is way too soon. And it's always a tragedy when uh, somebody young and successful just suddenly passes away like that. Horrible shit. Okay, let's go to some military stories. First of all, making big news, three soldiers are to be awarded the Medal of Honor. How about that? And all for actions in Iraq and Afghanistan. And finally, I know this has been a long time fight on social media, so it's about time this man was recognized, Sergeant First Class Alwyn Cash. He died of burns sustained in October 2005 after rescuing one by one six soldiers and an Iraqi interpreter from a burning Bradley fighting vehicle that had struck an IED near Samara, Iraq. Uh, the second soldier, Master Sergeant Earl Plumley, a Green Beret who paid a pivotal role in fighting off a complex suicide attack at FOB Ghazni, Forward Operating Base Ghazni, Afghanistan, in October 2013. And the third one is going to be, sadly, posthumously, Sergeant First Class Christopher Saliz, an Army Ranger who died of wounds received in Paktia Province, Afghanistan, during a firefight with Taliban militants in July 2018. A formal announcement has um, already been put out. All three soldiers had previously received valor awards for their, for their actions. <clears throat> However, this... Uh, uh, this they will all be upgraded now. Cash's award is particularly long overdue. As I said, they've been fighting for that on Twitter for a long time. He will be the first African American service member to receive the Medal of Honor for events during the global war on terror. And his story especially was brutal because as he was running and getting all these guys out of the Bradley fighting vehicle, he got second and three degree, third degree burns over nearly seventy five percent of his body. 
even as he was on fire, according to witnesses, the heat was burning his uniform and body armor off of him. He ignored the pain and continued pulling his men out. It took a long time to get there. So that's uh, very outstanding. Uh, Plumley, he almost single-handedly staved off a complex suicide attack after militants blew a hole in the base's perimeter and then poured into the breach. He used multiple weapons to kill three attackers and wound others. He also saved a mortally wounded soldier out of the line of fire in an attempt to save him. Uh, you know, and, and honestly, he, Plumley, his initial award recommendation was a downgrade. His award was the subject of controversy in 2016 when a Defense Department Inspector General investigation revealed that one member of an Army Awards Board had argued that the senior NCO was simply doing his job. Ah, fuck you. Yeah. He, he, uh, and yeah, so they, he's, he will get the medical uh, the Medal of Honor. And then Salise was shot while providing security for a medevac flight that had landed under Taliban fire. And the pilot said his aircraft would have been surely critical damaged, critically damaged if it was not for Chris and that he owes him our lives. And Salise, as a matter of fact, was part of that CIA Omega program. Salise and other Army Rangers were supporting the CIA at a time when the agency was trying to kill or capture top militant targets in Afghanistan. Solis and Plumley will be the 19th and 20 individuals awarded the Medal of Honor for actions in Afghanistan. Cash will be only the seventh from the Iraq War to receive the Medal of Honor, which is a crime in itself. This I also put out. Stick with the military. The commander of Navy SEAL Team 8 has died in a training accident. Commander Christopher Bourgeau, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, B-O-U-R-G-E-O-I-S. Could be bourgeois. Anyway, Commander Brian, 43 years old, died Tuesday at Norfolk Centaur General Hospital in Virginia. This was three days after the initial accident. Now, this is the part that's crazy to me. It's under investigation, but apparently this occurred during a fast rope exercise. And... Basically, usually for you guys who don't know, I've fast roped many, many, many times. Usually it's done at a fairly low level. And in another statement, the Navy said they could not confirm that the fast rope was attached to the helicopter. One, why would you say that even or bring it up if it wasn't a, if it's a possibility? Two, I don't know how a fast rope just detaches from a helicopter unless it's on purpose. Now, there's an emergency procedure in which, yes, you could cut a fast rope away from a helicopter, right? That would only happen if the aircraft was about to go down. And I don't know why that would happen with a fast rope. I've told you guys before, on accident, like it can happen with a rappel rope. Because a rappel bag, if a helicopter is going forward, I threw a rappel rope in a bag out the door because I thought the pilot was doing a go-around and he was not. And the rope bag flew towards the tail rotor. And so they had to cut the rope away because it's in danger of, you know, endangering the aircraft. A fast rope is far, far thicker. It's very heavy. It does have, a, you know, some, some cutaway mechanism that you have to manually pull. But then a source on Instagram told me that he fell from 45 feet. I can't confirm that. I'm just passing it along. That is a very high fast rope. 
most fast ropes I'd say are 20 feet, 20, 25 feet, if that. Because you're you're have nothing to hold you. You're just using your strength to hold yourself up, and you're going to zip down, and it's you know you you might fall and tumble a little bit, but it's no shit. I mean, it is scary. Forty five feet would be a huge fall. So even if the fast rope was a forty five, like that, he would have to have just grabbed the rope. So like the, I don't know what could have happened. One guy brought up the possibility that maybe they were fast roping onto a building. And the fast rope like drifted over the side of the building. Like, you know, you guys copy what I'm saying? So, like, he fell the length of the building, which may have been five stories. Uh, plausible. So, I just, I just don't know. We don't have enough information. I've fallen from fast ropes before, like, slid down them extra hard wearing full kit at night and stuff like that. It's not usually, if you're wearing full kit, you can take a tumble. It's not necessarily something that would kill you, though. So, and and the fact that he was the commander too, like it's that's pretty crazy. I'm sure he was very experienced. Something strange had to happen because it's just not something that would you could normally die from. Is my point. So more information sure to come out from that. I'm sure, and I will. I'll give you guys an update on that one. Uh, one more military story. This is terrible. Uh, uh, a United States Marine was killed by a box truck after stopping to help motorists stuck in the middle of a California highway. God. Alberto Lucio, 20 years old. He had pulled over to help a 36-year-old and a 31-year-old after the pair's vehicles stalled on Interstate 5 in Oceanside. That's right by Camp Pendleton. Um, and... While he was inside their vehicle, maybe trying to start it, he was struck by an international box truck. Jeez. And he died at the scene. Oh, you know what? Apparently they were drinking. Because the guy, the 36-year-old guy whose car was, he is going to be booked in the San Diego County Jail on suspicion of DUI as well as other unidentified felony charges? Jesus. Wow. And they do think, yes, that box truck driver was driving under the influence. <clears throat> Horrible. Please don't drink and drive. Uh, they say that the forty, the, the driver of the box truck was 47 years old. Horrible. All right. Let's keep going here. How about this story? <laughs> this, is, this is crazy. So there's a brutal fucking pedophile in the UK, right? A place from a place called Scarborough. This is in a, like in, in Yorkshire. So apparently he was he has been jailed. In the case, his name is Sam O'Connell. He's only nineteen years old, dude. And this guy was fucking nuts. He actually wore a chastity belt to stop himself from abusing children. However. It didn't stop him from filming himself performing a sex act with a dog. Plus, he had a sexual interest in horses. And he downloaded over 6,400 pornographic images, some of which showed children as young as two years old being raped. Where do you even fucking get this shit from? I'm assuming like the Philippines or something or Thailand. Yeah, when cops searched his iPhone, they found a pornographic image of O'Connell performing a lewd act on a dog. And uh, he apparently wrote himself pedophile manuals for guidance on how to attract, sexually abuse, and hide children. 
Yeah, he, he this guy can never be let out of prison. Ever. Man. Yeah, this guy's going away for a long... Well, it is the UK. He'll probably get out in like five years or something like that. But he he should never be able to be allowed out of prison. And he's only 19. Imagine being that fucked up when you're 19. All right, uh, let's do a few more world news stories. A police officer in Kenya shot dead his wife and five other people with an AK-47 in the early hours of Tuesday this week. A neighbor heard a loud bang from his home at 1 in the morning, and he then went on what police are calling a killing spree near the capital of Nairobi, killing five others. He then later took his own life. The motive behind the killings is unclear, but police said the couple had been feuding. Well, there you go. That's it's always it's always the woman who drives a man to do something like this. I'm sorry, ladies, it's true. By the way, this is not the first time a Kenyan police officer have thought to have been involved in something like this. In July, a female officer grabbed national headlines after allegedly killing two men, including a colleague, in a span of twenty four hours. That was Caroline Kangogo. She was later found dead. And I think some of this truck, some of this is like, you know, PTSD and shit like that. A Thai construction tycoon has been jailed for poaching protected animals. Yes, this is Premchai Karnasuta. He has gotten two and a half hours in prison without probation related to the poaching of protected animals. Uh, He was found guilty of possessing a firearm without a permit, enabling poaching, and possessing the carcass of a protected animal. Uh, Let's see here. He denied the charges originally, but then said he was sorry. In 2018, wildlife officials found Premchai and three others in a wildlife sanctuary with carcasses of protected animals, including a black Indo-Chinese leopard, pheasants, and a deer near their jungle campsite. Uh, in case you're wondering why I'm talking about this, he's one of Thailand's 50 richest people. This is like a big deal. Yeah, I mean, you know what, dude? Fucking kill all the pheasants and deer you want, but you, the leopards, very, very high on the animal hierarchy. Can't do that. Can't do that. All right. Um, How about this one? Oh, let's go to, uh, let's do a little uh, border news. One of you guys sent me this one from Yuma. So now that they've got the Laredo clusterfuck under some kind of control because they basically just let everybody in, now Yuma is undergoing the draft because they all just move west. That's what they do. When the Border Patrol descends on one sector, the cartels know just go somewhere else. The mayor of Yuma declared a local emergency this week due to the number of migrants crossing the border and just walking through the city. And as my source said and backed up by this article... Basically, they're entering into the city because they don't want to wait for the Border Patrol. They don't want to be processed. They're just like, fuck you, dude. And they walk right in because they know they're not going to be deported, as I've said a bazillion times. In the last five days, there have been over 6,000 migrants crossing the border into, into Yuma. That is nuts, dude. And they're passing through Yuma on foot, through farming fields, can destroy... Yuma's heavily agriculturally based, can destroy crops, all kinds of other shit. That's terrible. 
Meanwhile, I just said, you know, the New York Times did a story on the fucking, the, the separated migrant families. Remember the infamous $450,000 payments we were going to offer every migrant family person? Indi- not just the family. Each individual of the family was going to get $450,000 for the child separation things. It's so funny. The New York Times put out a tweet. Republicans seize on news of potential $450,000 payments. I had fun with that. The scandal is, you know, it's never the fucking, the story is never the original scandal, which is the Democrat scandal. The story is the Republicans reacting to the scandal. And they use various, uh, you know, verbs. The Republicans seize. Republicans pounce. You know, stuff like that. So they are saying that this would negotiate settlement that could provide up to $450,000. Of course, that is completely insane. That number had, though, had been discussed, and the New York Times confirms that. That was an agreed-upon number. And it is unclear how many people could be eligible for any payment. Fewer than 1,000 of the 5,500 families affected have filed a claim. But yes, and the story here is all about how Republicans reacted to it. It's fucking terrible. They, the New York Times seems to think it'll be much less, but who knows? And then finally, on the border, uh, the Daily Mail ran a story. Kamala Harris has only spoken to the Guatemalan president one time, despite Biden appointing her to address, quote, root causes, quote, of migration. <laughs> uh, that's our borders are. Kamala Harris. They don't care. They don't care. This is all good stuff for them. As a matter of fact, I have a clip from... Uh, Fox News did an interview with the Guatemalan president. Let's uh, hear how this goes. Other than, other than your meeting with Kamala Harris in June. That's the only one. Th- that is the only communication you've had with the Biden administration about illegal immigration. Yep. Does that strike you as being odd? Well, uh, we have had uh, many conversations with your ambassador, but between my presidency and the White House... Actually, no. I spoke once with Joe Biden uh, because I introduced myself. Then we had the visit of Vice President Harris. Uh, and on matters of uh, state migration, we had the visit of uh, Mr. Alejandro Mayorkas. But uh, aside from that, uh, direct communication, no. <laughs> there you go. No, no, nothing like that. Uh, as a matter of fact, they, they, and then they beat up um, bumbling Jen Psaki, White House Press Secretary, at the podium. Let's hear this one. I'm to share with you. The last one yeah, I have is just uh, with this, uh, uh, this tragedy involving a truck crash with more than 50 migrants yeah. that were killed. Um, that's the initial reports. Um, just initial reports from people on the ground uh, say that that truck was intending to come to the U.S. border, that those folks were trying to come to the U.S. Is the president, is the administration um, reaching out to Mexico to partners in Central America this morning. Does this cause for a certain reevaluation of the strategy to deter migration? Bit it out. It would really come through the Department of Homeland Security, uh, that kind of outreach. Uh, so I would point you to them for any more detail about a connection with the Mexican government. Or the vice president at this point? I can, I can check and see, but I suspect that conversation would first happen through the Department of Homeland Security. Okay, in other words, yeah, I'm not going to tell you anything about the vice president because she's a stupid idiot and everybody knows it. And she's a total. Did you guys see all the stories about how no, nobody likes her and everybody's leaving her administration? Oh, so funny. Okay, a couple, as long as we're on politic, political stuff, let's, uh, here's a few clips for you. Do you see Hillary Clinton emerge this week? And for some reason, they thought it would be super cool if she read her 
speech that she was going to give if she would have won in 2016. Let's uh, let's listen to her read part of this. You know, right, a concession speech, because even though we had a lot of bumps those last 10 days, uh, I, I still thought, you know, we could pull it out. So I worked on um, a speech that really was about my journey and had a, had a real emphasis on my mother's life and journey as a way of, you know, making it clear that, yes, I would be the first woman president, but I, I like everybody, uh, stood on the shoulders and lived the lives uh, and the experiences of those who came before us. I dream of going up to her. This is her and reading. And sitting down next to her, taking her in my arms and saying, look at me, listen to me. You will survive. You will have a good family of your own and three children. And as hard as it might be to imagine, your daughter will grow up and become the president of the United States. Mm. 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 <laughs> Do you hear that? Do you hear that male MSNBC host? Mm. God. Meanwhile, I don't know which fucking dope it was from MSNBC. He's sitting across from her, gazing at her in adoration, dude. This dude, the look on his face, he would fucking love nothing more than a jam. His entire face right into that fucking seven-decade-old cooter right there. You got to go see the Go Google the clip. I mean, he's fucking ready to stick all that tongue all the way up there. I'm just, I'm just, I don't want to be too graphic, you guys, but please. And then uh, also, this is amusing. Here's old Trump, the orange man. He's telling a story. I think he's in Mar-a-Lago or something like that. But he's, uh, he's telling a story on how General... Milley told him to leave the military equipment in Afghanistan. So let's hear how this clip goes. You got a $50 million airplane. You got a $29 million gorgeous helicopter. We had every type of helicopter. Many of them brand new, literally out of the box. $28, $29 million. We have $60, $70 million planes. You mean you think it's cheaper to leave it there so they can have it? than it is to fill it up with a half a tank of gas and fly it into Pakistan or fly it back to our country. You think, yes, sir, we think it's cheaper, sir. That's when I realized he was a fucking idiot. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the orange man. God, I do miss him on Twitter, as oafish as he was. He was uh, fucking at least, at least entertaining, and at this point, that's really all I really care about. Okay, uh, let's see... How about this? These kids these days. This is no good. Let's go to California. Back to California. Apparently this is a new trend. An email went out to Douglas Middle School families. This is a suburb of um, Sacramento. Uh, Woodland, California. Warning parents of many inappropriate Instagram accounts being created by students. The email says the accounts, quote, encourage students to take pictures of other students in private behaviors like using the bathroom, end quote and goes on to say that those photos have been posted. The school has managed to have a couple of the accounts removed, the email states, but there are too many, and they are being created too rapidly for the school to get them all taken down before the inappropriate post goes up. One woman said her 12-year-old son is a victim. On Friday, her other son, who's 13, was shown the photos at the school of his brother, and he said the photos showed his brother's genitals. 
You fucking believe this? There's been at least eight Instagram accounts they've found so far. So this is what they're doing, these kids? They're fucking folks. They're taking pictures of each other's dicks in the bathroom? Can we go back to where kids like played basketball and smoked weed in the bathroom? I I don't know. Am I sounding old right now? What is what is wrong with you kids now? Why why aren't you trying to like make out with chicks and I don't know smoke a J and listen to fucking hip hop and metal? Is am I old? Am I that old? No. You'd rather fucking sand around the bathroom trying to take a picture of another kid's dick and post it on Instagram. Nice life, dude. I can already tell you're a future incel. Come on. God, I, I I hate using this phrase, but God damn it, kids these days. You guys suck, dude. Back to the international news. Let me get past that. We're running out of time anyway. Uh, Ex-Panama president's sons have been extradited to the U.S. after a multi-county country chase. But this, two sons of the former president, Ricardo Martinelli, fled the United States by Uber private jet, and an unknown vessel. This was all due to money laundering charges. Uh, Brooklyn court wanted to arraign them. And um, this happened, Stealth. this featured stealth getaways of the Bahamas, fake diplomat credentials, and a private jet. The defendant, Ricardo Alberto Linares, was captured in Guatemala last year with his brother, indicted in February. He was extradited to the United States on Friday and will now face charges. This is all part, God, oh man, I didn't even know this was in this article. You know what this is all about? This is all about the U.S. government's investigation into that Odebrecht company. You longtime listeners, does that ring a bell? That's that Brazilian construction conglomerate, huge company down in Brazil that prosecutors say paid nearly $800 million in bribes to officials and political parties in several countries. In 2016, Odebrecht and its affiliates pleaded guilty to federal bribery charges in U.S. District Court and agreed to pay at least $3.5 billion in penalties. So, the other Martinelli brother, Luis, was extradited in the U.S. last month, and he pleaded guilty last week to laundering $28 million as part of that Odebrecht scheme. Their, bro- their father, Ricardo Alberto Martinelli Baracal, 69 years old, he governed Panama from 2009 until 2014. And then American prosecutors accused the Martinelli brothers of um, hiding all kinds of money, all kinds of shit. And they, after the Odebrecht guilty plea, the Martinelli brothers met with American officials, but in June 2020, the brothers left for the Bahamas and evaded U.S. border controls. So they were on the run for it. So, yeah. And somehow they uh, were eventually uh, excreted back to the United States and thrown in the fucking pen. Good. Uh, Tigray rebels executed dozens of civilians, according to a report from Human Rights Watch. Kind of touched on this. This is the ongoing fighting, the civil war in Ethiopia. And the uh, Human Rights Watch said in its report this week that the Tigrayan rebels fighting Ethiopia's government carried out dozens of executions against civilians into, in two towns they controlled in August and September. This They say they summarily executed 49 people in the village of Chenna in the town of Kobo. And then in Chenna over the span of five days, they killed 26 civilians on 15 separate occasions. Yeah, this is just fucking savagery going on over there. 
No one in sight. A Saudi camel beauty pageant has cracked down on cosmetic enhancements. <laughs> More than 40 camels have been disqualified from Saudi Arabia's beauty pageant for receiving Botox injections and other cosmetic enhancements. The contest is a highlight of the King Abdulaziz Camel Festival, where $66 million U.S. in prize money is at stake. Uh, key attributes include long, droopy lips, a big nose, and a shapely hump, much like our beauty pageants. Wink, wink. Judges used advanced technology to undercover tampering with camels on a scale not seen before. All contestants were first led into a hall where their external appearance and movements were examined by specialists, and then they scanned them with x-rays and ultrasound machines. Oh, that's fantastic. 27 contestants alone were disqualified for having stretched body parts, and 16 were ejected for having received injections. Ugh, God. Rubber bands were also used on animals to make body parts bigger than normal by restricting the flow of blood. Some 33,000 camel owners from as far away as the U.S., Russia, and France are participating in the King Abdulaziz Camel Festival, which lasts 40 fucking days? God. How is it long? How does it last? What do you do for 40 days, dude? They're camels. Come on. What are you supposed to do with camels for 40 days? God, I lose my mind. All right. So let's go to some few audio clips here. See what I got for you. Um, what's this one here? Oh, Alec Baldwin. Remember if he made the news? So some journalist confronted him on the Upper East Side. God, this video has almost 2 million views. Let's click this. He confronted Alec Baldwin and not like Wait, it. Mr. Baldwin, I have to ask you, what brings you to New York City? I asked you to leave. Mr. Baldwin, why, who, who's, who's here? I asked you to go away. Please go away. Photograph under somebody's private uh, home. This is not this is not in our room. Are you? This is not any. This is public property. Go away. Stop. Who's here? Did you really not pull the trigger? Do you believe it went off without you pulling the trigger? Was it a malfunction? Okay, and he shuts the door. Oh, I, I, you know, I, I do, I do. Alec Baldwin is a big goof, but I do fucking hate, uh, hate the media. Here's a clip I saw. This is weird. So apparently, this this is a black dude, and he goes up to this white woman in a grocery store who's just shopping. She's looking through the window of a you know in the, the freezer aisle, and he just puts his hand out and strokes her hair, and then he make and then he makes a big scene. Let's see how this clip goes. This is a Safeway. Let's hear this. And walking into the Safeway, here he goes. Hand is going to caress her hair. Here we go. Hi. Hi. Why are you touching me? Because you smell so good. Okay, uh, no thank you. Can I maybe smell you? I see that you're doing some sort of weird psychology experiment, but if you put your hands on me again, I will call the fucking police. Get away from you me. You smell like a beautiful vanilla candle. Help! Rape! Don't do that. <laughs> Help! I'm being attacked! Oh my god, this is, this is gold, by the way. Keep going, keep going. Say, say he's black, say he's black. Don't you have security in this store? I went to get chicken nuggets, ma'am. You were next to the chicken nuggets, and I went like that on the side. I didn't even touch you. So he grabbed my body. What body? <laughs> I was just walking in the park, and I saw I saw your granddaughter. She's just so beautiful. It's another chick. Can I maybe have her hand in marriage? <laughs> Stop it. Hey. Excuse me, don't How are you doing? Excuse me? 
Okay, so he was basically going up to a bunch of chicks and like panting at them and pawing them, and he, he's trying to make fucking videos. What? I don't know what the hell's going on. Every, anything to go viral, apparently. Very bizarre to me. Uh, what other videos do I have? I've got a few more here. Um, let's go to this video here. Here's a large woman who does not like you guys using the word obese. Oh, this should be funny. Hey, the word obese is garbage, and here's why. First, the word obese literally means something that's eaten itself fat, which is not only deeply stigmatizing, but it's also inaccurate for many fat people who are not fat because of eating. There are many reasons why people are fat. Some include food, but many do not. Next, the word obese didn't enter common usage until the 1830s when Adolf Quetelet invented the BMI. Today, the word obese only has significance within the context of the BMI, and it has no value outside of that structure. If you haven't watched my video about how terrible the BMI is, pause this and go do that. If we are to stop using the BMI, which we should, that also means dismissing its components. We actually don't need to pathologize body size in order for doctors to treat fat patients. In fact, the quality of care increases dramatically when doctors do not pathologize fat patients. For all of these reasons and more, please just use the word fat. It's a morally neutral descriptor. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I've always done that, so I will continue to use the word fat. But I will continue to use the word obese as well. Uh, she's not wrong completely about the BMI. That's heavily flawed. But she is herself obese, and I'm just going to say it. And stop. This this whole fat positivity movement has got to end. Any fucking real doctor will tell you being fat comes with a whole host of terrible health issues. And it just it, there's no such thing as being hugely fat and healthy. There just isn't. So, and especially with the fucking coronavirus, which reminds me, I did not even do a COVID update this week. I was so anti it. Um, so I better quickly get onto that. Uh, quickly, the latest uh, numbers, uh, total reported cases in the United States, 49,792,430. That is a plus 38% in the 14-day change. Total reported deaths, 795,301. That is a plus 26% in the 14-day change. More than 120,000 coronavirus cases are emerging each day. Uh, cases, deaths, and hospitalizations are rising but remain below the levels seen during the summer and during last winter's peak. New Hampshire leads the country in recent cases per capita. Michigan has the country's highest hospitalization rates. The Southwest has struggled in recent weeks. Arizona and New Mexico have rates, hospitalization rates that are among the worst in the country. Um, so... Quickly, UK scientists say vaccines provide protection against the Omicron variant. God, big eye roll. Uh, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court has struck down a school mask mandate. The CDC found 43 Omicron cases, almost all of them mild, in the first week of December. New York State will require masks in indoor public spaces that do not ask for proof of vaccination. California official said she was stalked by members of an anti-vaccine group. That's uh, Christina Lawson. And she said she was the target of a group called America's Frontline Doctors. Um, speaking of fat, scientists have found that coronavirus does attack fat tissue. And this research may help explain why people who are overweight and uh, obese have been at higher risk of severe illness and death from COVID. Like I've been telling you since the fucking beginning, 
Um, stupid Governor Gavin Newsom went on the James Corden show and he decided to compare California's handling of the pandemic to the state of Florida for some reason. They're, they love Florida. Florida's the great boogeyman. Uh, let's uh, listen to this. Beginning of the pandemic, Florida, if you want to compare Florida to California. Why Florida? Why did he do choose Florida? higher death rate than the state of California. 33% higher case rate than the state of California. And their economy has done worse and the economy in the state of California. So this whole notion that somehow we have to disabuse ourselves, that this is a real uh, health issue and we can just open everything up, don't worry about science, don't worry about mask wearing, don't worry about social distancing, freedom, 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 and somehow that's a ticket uh, to economic growth, turns out not to be the case. California is proof of that. We contracted at a more modest rate than Florida during the peak of this pandemic, and California is the 10th pole of American job recovery as we maintain among the lowest positivity rates in America. The pathway out of this is not only a vaccine, but the pathway back to economic prosperity and keeping our kids safely back in person in school is to get this pandemic behind us. Okay, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Stop talking, Gavin, stop talking. I want to check those numbers too. And by the way, it doesn't really matter. I mean, yeah, maybe Florida, Florida never locked down. So their kids didn't go through fucking months and months and months of fucking trauma, mental health trauma that's been skyrocketing through the fucking roof. Uh, and then here's a here's a clip of a chick who showed up at a school board meeting, one of those, and she decided to. Uh, everybody's got to make a spectacle of themselves now, so I shouldn't be um, surprised. But she's some kind of anti-masker, and she starts singing. I have not heard this yet, so let's uh, hear how it goes. She's putting on a Santa Claus hat, and she's about to read off of her phone. Here we go. Bridget, let's end this emergency. I don't want a lot for Christmas. Just body autonomy. I don't care about the variants because of natural immunity. I just want my freedom now. The Constitution will show us how. Make my dreams come true. In a state of emergency and acknowledge early treatment too. Oh my god, dude. Ivermectin, not just horse paste and hydroxychloroquine, vitamin C and vitamin D. Then the zinc and quercetin. I won't wear a useless mask. I don't need to stay. Oh, I can't. I just, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it. It says this is a board. This is a county supervisor's board meeting, not a school board meeting. Oh my god. Uh, all right. Uh, and here's a, here's a. Let me do one more clip before I run out of time. Which one should I pick? I've got a few here. Hmm. I gotta. I have to pull them up and see which one. Oh, here's one. Let me just play this one. Here is somebody saying, if you want to show support for the BIPOC community, that's um, black, indigenous, and people of color. White people should not have babies. Huh? Let's hear this. A guy. lot of white allies and accomplices ask, how can they support black and indigenous people of color? And sometimes I really don't know what to say, but here's one easy way. Just don't have babies. 
Okay, there you go. All you white allies out there, are you a white ally? I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I don't care what color you are. I don't care where your genitals are. I don't care if you prefer penis or do not prefer penis. I just, I don't care. All right, and then uh, finally, let's just go to some quick headlines. A Black Lives Matter protester has been charged with harassment after he live-streamed himself walking up to the apartment door of the Asian judge who's on that Kim Potter trial. Kim Potter is the chick who the, was the police officer who uh, shot a guy, and she claims she wanted to reach for her taser, uh, but she reached for her gun instead. Uh, human remains in a car linked to a 45-year-old cold case. U.S. officials found a car. The discovery of human remains in a car at the bottom of an Alabama creek has solved the mystery of a student who went missing 45 years ago. In 1976, Kyle Klinkscales left Georgia to drive back to Auburn but never arrived. The disappearance of the 22-year-old in his 1974 Pinto has never been solved. But on Tuesday, somebody saw the car submerged in a creek and they pulled it out and boom, what do you know? That's a that's a very cool story. And additionally, another other um, interesting story. The New York Times did a story on a scuba diving YouTuber who found a car linked to teens missing since the year 2000. This is fascinating. He uses sonar, underwater sonar equipment, to investigate missing persons cases. And he, Jeremy, this is Jeremy Sides, 42 years old. He runs the YouTube account Exploring with Nug. And he found the submerged vehicle belonging to Aaron Foster and Jeremy Bechtel of Tennessee. And they were last seen on April 3rd, the year 2000. Yeah. He documented the discovery in a 20-minute YouTube video. Now, these remains have not been positively identified, but the sheriff does say he does believe it's them. That's awesome. Good for you, man. Uh, let's see. Navy has commissioned a destroyer named for Hawaiian Center and Medal of Honor recipient, Daniel Anue. And, yes, he was 17 years old when Japan attacked the U.S. Navy base at Pearl Harbor. How about that? That's a very well-deserved honor right there. Scientists say they might have discovered the cause of Alzheimer's. They are now focusing on the form of tau proteins. And they think tau proteins can be somewhat the cause of dementia. And speaking of Alzheimer's, Viagra may be useful against Alzheimer's. This is fantastic. They may be a useful treatment against Alzheimer's disease, and they suggest that the drug targets some of those proteins that accumulate in this type of dementia. So not only do you get your mental acuity back, you have a raging fucking erection. It's fantastic. A crypto exchange has lost $150 million in hackers. <laughs> that is the crypto exchange BitMart. That's the thing about crypto right there. A landlord in Florida has killed a tenant after catching him masturbating into his girlfriend's underwear. This is definitely a not guilty. Michael Pritchard, 35, faces a second-degree murder charge after deputies discovered the remains of a missing man believed to be his tenant in a shallow grave near his residence. How about that? Yep. Pritchard, whose nickname is Loco, reportedly told multiple witnesses that he shot the man to death because he caught him pleasuring himself into his girlfriend's underwear. Well, I'm on Loco's side on that one. A Myanmar court has sentenced San Suu Kyi 
the former civilian leader in initial verdicts. That's right. Uh, her full name is Don Da Ong San Suu Kyi, and um, she originally got a four-year sentence. They have released. They have uh, put it back down to two years. She will be allowed to serve out the remaining 14 months in the house she is currently detained in. And speaking of Myanmar, five dead after Myanmar security forces... Fucking the pop-up cookie acceptance is killing me. Five dead after Myanmar security forces ram car in a Yangon protest. And at least 15 other are arrested. This was the anti-coup protest. As you guys know, the, the military took over Myanmar. Twelve soldiers and dozens of Nigerians, uh, dozens of terrorists killed in Niger attack. Clash with hundreds of armed terrorists near Fantio also left eight soldiers wounded, according to the defense ministry. This is Western Niger. Um, tourists scramble for cover and flee the beach as five men on jet skis dressed as soldiers pull up on the beach and open fire on a Cancun resort. Oh, man, you know the Mexican government is pissed about that one. 39-year-old black homeless man has been arrested for stabbing a 14-year-old white boy to death in a random attack, and he called a Florida devil a white devil, and he told white cops he did it because of, quote, what they did to black people about giving them syphilis. Shockingly, this was a one-day story in the news, and it didn't fucking make national headlines. See my earlier rant. Uh, the Ghislaine Maxwell trial is still going on, guys. Um, nothing really. I'll do a long update on that when there's finally a conclusion. But basically, it's not on TV, so it's uh, kind of hard to keep up with it. And what else? 12 major cities have hit an all-time homicide record. Yep. Every single one of them, coincidentally, are run by Democrats. Yep. Portland, Oregon, 72nd homicide, the highest since 1987. Philadelphia has hit 501 homicides. That's the highest since 1990. Austin, Texas, 60 homicides, highest since 1984. Rochester, New York, 71st homicide, highest since 1991. I mean, you know what? Again, guys, the people voted for this. They voted for the woke DAs. They voted to keep people out of jail. I have... Little to no sympathy. I just don't. A Florida teen is charged with extorting and cyberstalking after threatening to leak photos of a state senator's breasts if she did not pay him $4,000. This is State Senator Lauren, Bach, Lauren Book, who's a blonde, attractive woman. Uh, she is claiming that the photos of her breasts are not real. Um... That's right. And so they got she she contacted the detective and the detective turned up at the meeting place and then uh, quickly that was it. And guys, uh, one more. Josh Duger, the former reality show contestant, he has been jailed for his child porn. Apparently, he tried to find a video called Daisy's Destruction, the worst of the worst in international child porn that shows cruel torture, beatings and other shit of girls as young as 18 years old. He plead guilty to both counts of child pornography on Thursday. He's awaiting sentencing. He faces up to 40 years. And finally, you guys, the big finish. First off, it's a two-parter. 
A passenger on board a Delta plane was creeped out after a pilot messaged him on Grinder during their flight. 27-year-old J.P. Thorne said the strange interaction happened while he's flying from St. Paul, Minnesota to Chicago in August. Uh, he, he, when his flight landed, his mobile phone service returned, and he saw a notification on Grinder. The message said, "Quote: I see you on my. I see you're on my flight. Enjoy the ride to Chicago." End quote. <laughs> oh man, the first thing he does when he lands is check Grinder. That's funny. And in the man's profile, there was a photo of this guy taken from the cockpit. Uh, uh, excuse me, flight deck, cockpit. Come on, inappropriate. And the next, the next last story I got for you guys. A Welsh, let's go to Wales. A old man, 77 years old, was arrested after telling school children visiting his apartment, quote, were about to have an orgy, end quote, and then exposed himself to him. This was 77-year-old David Williams. But you know what the, you know what they're blaming it on? Here's a new one. They're blaming it on his early onset dementia. And the judge believed him, so he's facing no jail time. And basically these kids went into his um his apartment. Apparently they were doing some kind of community service. Because I mean, come on, kids, don't do that. But as the youngsters entered the flat, the defendant locked the front door behind them and began to take his clothes off. He then said, we're about to have an orgy and laughed. And he also said, quote, do schools not teach you about sex? End quote. And then, yes, he did fucking take out his penis. And yes, the teenagers did record some of it on their mobile phones. <laughs> Does that, that, that sounds like a guy who knew exactly what he was doing. Come on. Dementia. Guys, that's it. That's all I got. Guys, thank you so much from France. Uh, remember to go on uh, Patreon.com and try to make a donation to keep the podcast going. been kind of a slow month uh, outside my regular people, so I'd really like to get that going before the end of the year. Go to Patreon.com. Look for BK Actual. Check me out on Twitter at Bravo Kilo Actual and Instagram at BK Actual. And thank you so much for all the support. Look for that best of 2021 year of review coming up. And guys, that's all I got. I'll see you next week.